Welcome back to Kings of Columbus on the podcast. Doug Lamarice and Bill Landis. 20 questions, comments, thoughts lined up today. Landis from our loyal, dedicated, educated tech subscribers. We haven't done it in a while. We put the call out. Almost 150 responses. Can't do 150, but we're going to do as many as we can. We're going to talk about offensive line. We're going to talk about what if Taylor Swift was hanging around Ohio State mm. football. We're going to talk about Will Howard, Kyle McCord comparisons, Buckeyes in the NFL, what the transition at AD at Ohio State means for the future basketball coach, Chris Holtman. I have a category called Big Sandwich and Little Sandwich Conspiracy, which you kind of would like us to jump to the first topic, but we're not going to do. Yes. Talking about ranking Ohio State in the preseason poll compared to Georgia what defensive looks they should show, NIL violations around the country, how do they affect Ohio State, and the future of Kings of Columbus, plus some some good Ryan Day stuff. Just among, among the many, many things. And then, of course, what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. We'll wrap up this show at the end with that. Let's start with what I think is a very interesting comparison. I've kind of been waiting for someone to make it. And other, many people have, but um, I want to give a shout out to uh, Eric, who brought this to our attention. As we think about all the Ohio State guys who put off the NFL to come back for 2024, I would love to get your perspective on this since you were covering the team back then. That's me. I'm older than you. Mm -hmm. As excited as I am for all the players who decided to come back, I can't stop thinking about the core that came back after the 2007 season. I was so excited at that time and thought we had a juggernaut coming back. Malcolm Jenkins, James Laurinaitis, Marcus Freeman, Donald Washington, etc. The season was over pretty quickly in 2008 after a dismal showing and a 35-3 loss to USC. Obviously not an exact comparison, but my question is, should we be on alert for any kind of letdown? So, I think about this all the time, mostly because it was the only time in my life that I oversaw a photo shoot. And this, oh. I can't, it's like the craziest thing that I ever did on the beat. So going into 08 was, 08 was my fourth year covering the team. So to me, there's five, there's sort of like five guys at the core of that. And, and the famous story is they are, after the, the loss to LSU in the national title game, they're in the locker room afterwards and they kind of decide they're like, hey, we're running this back again. Two straight national title game losses, Florida and LSU, on the backs of a lot of these guys who were sophomores and juniors, they're coming back for their senior year. They really do decide it as a group. So to me, that group is always James Laurinaitis at linebacker, Malcolm Jenkins in the secondary, Alex Boone at offensive tackle, Brian Rubisky at receiver, and Marcus Freeman at linebacker also. So we did a photo shoot on High Street before the season, like in August, where we told them what were the what were the cool shirts the guys wore in 2008 that were like like tight like uh sort of like bodybuilder kind of t-shirts that had like fancy like uh skull designs on them and stuff like ed hardy t-shirts yeah something like that maybe yeah wow. something like so we told them to wear like wear your cool wear your cool guy shirt we didn't want them in jerseys and stuff and we were in back alleys on high street with the five of these guys we were climbing up fire escapes we were like leaning against brick walls. We were like like putting our like their 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 elbows on trash cans, like trying to be like tough, cool guys. We shot them as a group. We shot all these individual photos. Um, the great Marvin Fong, the great Cleveland, Cleveland <laughs> oh, plane I, dealer photographer. I found one. <laughs> like if you like, it's of a time. Uh, it, it is. is of a, a, it is of a time. I wish maybe we could, can you send I'm it to gonna, Mike? Yeah, I'm gonna send it. To, I'm gonna send it to Mike now and see if he can put it up here. Yeah. So, so that was, and I actually signed uh, a book deal before that season to chronicle these guys 
coming back for their senior years to make one more run at it. And then they went to USC, lost 35 to three, and everything fell apart. Right now, what does fall apart mean? Right? Not really fall apart. They still had a great year. They lost to Texas in the Fiesta Bowl. They just, their national title dreams were dashed immediately. So, so the thing that I, the, the comparison here is like when you, when you put something, you know, you put off the NFL for a reason to come back and try to win it. And it's a very dangerous game. So, like, I do, when you, when you do something sort of selfless in pursuit of, of a greater goal, and a dream, it doesn't always mean it comes true. And I sure. do think it's worth, I have more thoughts on it, but I'll let you talk. It's worth having that, not at the front of your mind, but in the back of your head for everybody involved, that just because these guys did this doesn't mean it's going to work, but it doesn't mean it was the wrong decision if they don't win the national title. If they, do, You know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. it is a little bit of a, I don't know if it's a risk by them, but it is it is a full throated foot on the ground, like dedicated to the moment kind of decision that doesn't guarantee anything. It you know, you're right. It it, it doesn't. Um, I guess the one thing I will I will say in here, you know, I like you said I didn't cover that 2008 Ohio State team. Um, you know what that team would have done? Made a 12 team playoff. True. So like if you're like I understand the thought process from Eric here and I certainly understand like wanting to get out in front of any potential letdown to prepare yourself emotionally for that. Uh, it's not quite the same thing because college football is, is different. Now, if, if it's just like win the national title or else, then obviously that, that, that letdown still exists. But for the season to unravel, basically the way that this one did a couple of weeks into the season, um, I just don't think is like on the table for this current team. If, if there are bumps along the way, like we'll talk about them and that will be, different from what we're expecting because I think we're expecting Ohio State to be one of the best teams in college football this year, but they just have a lot of leeway to make mistakes in a 12-team playoff world. Like You can lose two games and still have an opportunity to play for a national title. So um, I just don't think it's quite the same thing, I guess. like I, I, under, I understand where it's coming from, but I, I don't know that if I were like, – I don't think I'd be preparing for quite the same kind of letdown because of the world we're in now. Yeah, so one of the things that is similar is is sort of a question question marks the wrong word, but not a Heisman level quarterback, right? Yeah, necessarily. Yeah. Todd Beckman in two thousand eight, coming off leading Ohio State to the national title game in two thousand seven, you know, just Todd Beckman wasn't Troy Smith, right? And so then he didn't play well early through some picks against USC. They lose that game. They go to Terrell Pryor. But I don't think, you know, I think a Will Howard, Todd Beckman. Are we sure that quarterback is championship quality? Is a reasonable conversation there? But the differences are a. There's more guys doing it now. You know, back then, yes, there were a lot. I think there's more now. That year, there was also a greater divide, I think, between there was old guys and young guys because 2008 was the Terrell Pryor, Brew Crew, Mike Adams, JB Shugarts, um, Mike Brewster, like the freshmen coming in. And there wound up being like an old guy, young guy thing that did not serve them because they were leaning on sort of both at the same time. And Terrell Pryor was waiting in the wings behind Todd Beckman. Aaron Nolan and, and Julian Sand aren't like waiting in the wings behind Will Howard in quite the same way, I would say. Right. And there's just a greater depth of experience, talent. And the other thing is they're not going to play Mark Sanchez and USC on the road in September. Yeah. They're not. They're playing uh, Akron and Marshall and <laughs> Western Michigan in September. So, like, they're not going to have – that was tough for those guys that year because it's like it was by September, given the structure and the reality of the, of the, of the, of the sport, 
and the reality of that schedule, like it was over by, it was over in September, like the ultimate dream, the ultimate goal was over in September, which is really tough. Right. So, yeah. so um, I think it is a, I think it's a worthwhile comparison because it's the time when guys got together and decided to stay, but there are many differences led by the thing you said, which is the 12 team playoff. Mike, can we, do we have a, do we have a photo that we can, do we have any photos? Oh, there it is. Look at that. This is why you have to watch the YouTube show. Is that of a time? The guy in the middle is the Notre Dame coach. Yeah. I bet I bet Laurinaitis still has some shirts like that in the closet. And like, you know what? Like, so you have to, if you're listening to the podcast, just go to the YouTube show for a minute. 848 into the show for this. And like right off the screen is like me in a cardigan. Like it is. Oh, <laughs> uh, guys. Could you look try to try to look a little meaner? Is I think this photo is the greatest individual journalistic accomplishment on the Ohio State beat this century. It's incredible that this photo exists. Why, why, why did you tell them to dress like this? I think it was the photog, but it was the idea of like, you know, like they they're doing it as football players, but they made the decision as men. Mm. We decided as men to come back and do this thing. Malcolm Jenkins, Brian Robisky, Marcus Freeman, Alex Boone, James Laurinaitis. I will never forget that. And the idea of like wrangling five college football superstars with no NIL money to come <laughs> stand in an alley on High Street. Yeah. We had him for like two hours. It's like, uh, Marcus, can you go up the fire escape? James. James, can you lean on the gutter now? It's like it was just, but that, but like for individually for them, it worked out. Look at the James Laurinaitis went on and had a great NFL career. Malcolm Jenkins is like a borderline Hall of Famer in Super Bowl rings. Brian Robisky was a second round pick. Marcus Freeman is the head coach of Notre Dame. And Alex Boone had a great NFL career. So like they didn't come back and win a national title, but it didn't like ruin their football lives or personal lives that they did it. You know what I mean? So like that's mm -hmm. the part of it too. And it didn't like, you know, it was disappointing for Ohio State fans, but. Anyway, God, that makes me feel so old and young at the same time. Can we do that? Can we? I don't think. Do you want to try to get JT Tuimolawa, Jack Sawyer, Emeka Buka, Trevion Henderson, and Denzel Burke to do to recreate that photo? To recreate that photo? Yeah, I think we should. Because I do like maybe James would help us. Like James is in the building. It's like, listen, yeah, and we can pay him for it. We can pay yeah. him for it. Yeah. And if not, should we recreate the photo? Absolutely not. I'm not wearing one of those shirts. I was never an affliction t-shirt guy. I never had to affliction, buy affliction. That's the name of it. Yeah. Did you were you like walking around third grade in an affliction t-shirt back then? Absolutely not. Doing? No, that's the kind of shirt that gets you punched in the face in Northeast Philly. Uh, you don't want to know the internal discourse of like mid-30s Doug Lay Maurice. Like, could I get away with an affliction shirt? No, I can't wear an affliction shirt. Well, I look pretty good in it. Maybe I could no, I can't wear it. So anyway. Um Oh, the good. The memories are flooding back. So thanks to Eric for bringing up that question, just so I can talk about uh, organizing um, a photo shoot that really, in the end, is uh, what it's all about. All right. Let's get to some offensive line questions. Okay. It's from our guy, Bill. On a scale of one to 10, how fixed is the offensive line? Is it's 2023 again kind of offensive line? That's a one in his mind. And a 10 is book your tickets to the natty. So is mm. it fixed, Landis? Uh, I mean, no, I wouldn't say it's fixed. I, I think it's, I think it's going to be better if only because of some experience that, that guys have gained now. So I wouldn't put it at a one. I would, I, 
I kind of just want to like sit in the middle and say a five because like I, I don't and but that that also sounds like sounding uh, alarm bells in a way that I, I maybe I think is maybe like overstating it a bit like <clears throat> it's not like they went out and did a bunch to address it right they added Seth McLaughlin to play center and they have to figure out the right side of the offensive line um, I think they have decent options on the right side of the offensive line but it, but you know in a world where they've only made one addition um, I would say it's like in a five or a six maybe but with like the, the possibility to be to be better than that like I really like Tegra Tribola and like I think Luke Montgomery is going to be a good player here the question is whether or not both of them or one of them is like ready to step up into a starting job and if they are then then I think it's closer to being fixed but I don't know that yet like I feel like I need to watch spring ball before I can give you a good answer on that but like I believe that like Josh Simmons and Donovan Jackson are going to be better this year than they were last year and I think I think Seth McLaughlin is an upgrade at center, so like that that's all better. But the right side of the line, I have I have no idea because you're losing Matthew Jones, who I thought was was pretty good for them last year, the the Cotton Bowl notwithstanding. Um, and right tackle play needs to be drastically better than it was a, a season ago. So I, I don't I don't really know what that's going to look like. A quick question to kind of pair with that one from our guy Terry in North Carolina: Is there any hope of a potential offensive tackle coup in the next portal window? Like, like the way that they wound up getting Josh Simmons after spring football left last year, and he became the starting left tackle. Mm-hmm. Could it happen? Uh, yeah, I don't I mean Josh Simmons wasn't a coup, right? That was a no. that was more of a desperation play, I think, and it worked out okay. Um, like big time splash in a, after spring practice. I I, I don't. I don't think so. Like, there's nobody out there at the moment that like hasn't committed anywhere yet and could be waiting for an opportunity like that. Certainly, guys could go into the portal after spring ball, but the guys that go into the portal after spring ball are usually guys who aren't going to start where they are. Like you'll you'll get a couple of maybe G five players who want to make that jump, but even then, like I, I don't know that that's necessarily a coup. So, like I, I I've said this before, like I think. I think banking on landing impact players and, and on the offensive line in the transfer portal is dangerous business. Like I, I just, it lags behind, I think every other position in terms of being able to find um, true impact players, like true starting caliber players that are going to make a tangible difference on your, on your team. Um, mostly because if they're that good, they're probably staying where they are for the, for the most part. And then if they do go into the portal, they are available. They're really expensive to get to come to your team because it's a premier position. So um, I, I, that's why I think it's, it's much more important to recruit and develop and get starting caliber players that way. So, um, the, I think they'll look right. I, I, I couldn't tell you who it's going to be, but if, if there are guys out there after spring ball, I think Ohio state will, will definitely take a look at them and maybe bring one in. But that, I think that goes back to, I think it's mostly Tegra and Luke. Like what do those two show you in spring ball? I think that will determine whether or not Ohio state feels like it needs to go get somebody else in the portal after spring practice. Okay. All right. Uh, a really like well-crafted Taylor Swift questions. Like how can mm-hmm. you get a Taylor Swift question into Kings of Columbus? This is from the Fong. If a star, the magnitude of Taylor Swift was dating an Ohio state football player coming to the games and showing up prominently during broadcasts, how would the podcast cover it? Who of the four would hate it most? Who would have the most fun with it? And one of the reasons I wanted to get this uh, early in the show, Landis, is because you and I have already covered something like this together. And I thought we leaned in and had a good time. 
and tried to take advantage of it for content's sake, but also enjoy ourselves doing it. And what comparisons do you believe I am referencing here, of course? <laughs> I have no idea. I think we already had Taylor Swift come through Ohio State, except it wasn't Taylor Swift, an outside persona celebrity dating a football player. It was Taylor Swift as a football player, and it was Tate Martell. <laughs> Tate's version. <laughs> and we did when we had that we did a tate martell video of the week where we talked about we one did. time i think the fact that tate martell got a new dog i forgot and, about that we did, and then, we did do that didn't you see tate martell's sister in an elevator one time and she had like watched the dog video or something i, thought I think was so like, or, it might have been his mom i think it was his mom maybe it was his mom and his sister yeah like, we got acknowledgement from the Martell family that they were aware of the fact that we were doing a video on their son, our brother, every week, even though he wasn't playing. So I would think you would have to have fun with this and, like, make a search engine optimization play at the same time. It's like, man, I don't know. If we can get Taylor Swift in a headline around Ohio State football. We might get a million views on this video. So I think I certainly would encourage us to have fun with it for the sake of fun and have fun with it for the sake of maybe we'll get some uh, – fans on the other side of the globe who are watching our content now would you want to have fun with it or would you be like i'm out no i, I well i guess i would take my cue from the oh, fan base like if i felt like the fan base was fatigued and burned out by it then i don't know that i'd lean into it um but i would hope that they wouldn't because i would i would want to lean into it i'm trying to find these videos on youtube of tape like we call it house martell right yeah <laughs> yeah we um, really want to get sued by Game of Thrones. We really I can't. Uh, I can't. I'm like we we did like a series of videos when we first got here. I can't find one of those, but I did find. Uh, it's a video where um, where we talked about Tate Martell playing Baker Mayfield on hmm. Scout Team in 2017. Okay. It's a minute and 45 seconds long. It has 43,000 views on, on YouTube. Oh no. Oh, that kid was gold. I don't know. I don't know what to tell you, brother. <laughs> like, we're leaning in. Would Berm and Austin want to lean in, or or would they be uh, uh, anti Taylor Swift Ohio State coverage? Oh, here's another video. What do what do the Buckeyes think of freshman QB Tate Martell? Eighty five thousand views. <laughs> I always he was I always, paying our salary. I always say this: the most popular story I think I ever wrote on Cleveland.com was when Shelly Myers' hair caught on fire at her yeah. birthday party, and I and I wrote about it. I cite that all the time, like in How to Be a Journalist, Doug's How to Be a Journalist talk. When someone on your beats family member, their hair catches fire at a birthday party, you got to write it. But the Tate Martell videos are the other example of that. That's Eighty-three thousand. Right. It's insane. Um, I do think Austin and Berm would lean into it. Um. They're huge Taylor Swift fans too, by the way. That's so true. if we were actually Taylor Swift, they'd be all about it. Um, but yeah, I think I think they would. I guess there's like a, I don't know. I don't. I find uh, celebrity relationships wholly uninteresting. So hmm. <laughs> I don't. I don't know. Um, yeah, I don't know if if that would be the most compelling content. But we would certainly. I think if there were a celebrity like that in the Ohio State sphere. We would try to get that person on an episode of Kings of Columbus or the podcast daily for sure. Yeah, I think that's fair. Uh, Tate, the the invitation is always there, brother. Whenever you want yeah. to come on, we haven't had that. I think uh, I th I might have this wrong, but when Seth Towns was on the basketball team, I'm pretty sure his girlfriend was like a Canadian pop star. Oh, for real? Yeah, like Robin Sparkles. Like oh, Robin okay. Sparkles. Yeah. Okay. Well, we can, we'll, we'll, we'll work where we ever need to work. We'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. All right.
Back to uh, real life. This is our guy, Austin P. Overall, I feel like there's been an absolute lack of reporting on the cheating scandal with Michigan since suspension since the suspension of Jim Harbaugh, especially on behalf of the Michigan beat. Uh, I feel like as, as if Ohio State fans are better educated on the entire situation than Michigan fans, and that's weird to me. When do you all expect the hammer to actually drop on Michigan? I think this mm. offseason is foreshadowing of what might be coming. Jim Harbaugh gone, defensive coordinator Jesse Minter gone, Ben Herbert, the strength coach gone. Um, what, what do you think a hammer? Good question, Austin. Do you think a hammer's coming for Michigan still at some point? I, I, I honestly, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I think um, I think Ohio State fans are more informed on it than Michigan fans because Ohio State fans want the hammer to fall, yep. understandably so. And Michigan fans would rather live in blissful ignorance of what's happening, so they don't want to inform themselves on it, which is probably what I would do if I were in their shoes too. Um, something's going to happen, right? I, I don't, I don't like. It's not. I don't think it's the nature of NCAA investigations to like play out in the media with like iterative reporting step by step of what's happening, right? Like we got the nuts and bolts of the case, we got a couple of suspensions and then like the NCAA has kind of been doing its work. Um and I know that they said they wanted to expedite that, but even an expedited version of that I still is probably like a 12 to 15 month timeline I I would think. So um I I do think there is another shoe to fall here for sure. You know, I, what's it look like? Like, I don't think it's going to be like the death penalty, but um, scholarship reduction, suspensions, those kind of things. Like, I, th- I think that that will probably come. But if I had to guess, like, perhaps not until next football season um, at the earliest. Like, I, I would still think it's going to take a full year from the outset of this um, until we get punishment from the NCAA. I think that the, the signs the biggest signs that something could be coming according to reporting was that Jim Harbaugh seemed to want some assurances in his contract. If he stayed at Michigan, that he couldn't be fired. If there were major NCAA sanctions that he was somehow responsible for, not somehow if he was responsible for, and that clearly somebody was putting that out there. Maybe it's just the Michigan side, like trying to quell unrest among the Michigan fan base for Jim Harbaugh leading by saying, hey, man, like he was trying to get it or, or whatever it was. But, but like, if that's the case, if, if that, and again, that was reporting from reputable sources for sure. If that's the case that like Harbaugh was concerned about it enough to demand assurances in his deal, then that makes you think like there still, still could be something coming here. The one for thing sure. that happened that people know that I think lessened it is that Charlie Baker, the new NCAA president said Michigan won the national title fair and square. And so that idea, I think a lot of, you know, people who root for Michigan took that as a not not the NCAA president said it, but again, we've you and I discussed that before. I think both can be true that like since the suspensions and since the Connor Stallion stuff came out, they won it fair and scare. They the square they won the games in the back half of the season fair and square, including the national championship game. Was everything the previous three seasons fair and square? I don't think what Charlie Baker said meant that. So I think there still could I wouldn't if I was a Michigan fan, I would not take that as like we're in the clear. It's going to be nothing. And I think maybe some Michigan fans have done that, which, again, if you were if your team, you're going to look for the good. Yeah, you know, I, I think Michigan fans and Michigan, some Michigan media have, have def- definitely took Charlie Baker's words as like an absolution of, of something yes. like and I, I don't that 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 is not what that was. Like, I, I'm with you. I think it was I think that was an effort to. Uh, preserve the integrity of that championship as much as as much as he could, um, even if outside of Ann Arbor, it's probably still viewed as largely tainted. Um, 
but that was not like a, oh we're good here like what they, were, they weren't wiping their hands of it like they're still yeah. doing their work and they're still what two and a half years or a year and a half year of, of impropriety that Mich- that michigan is i think guilty of and that the ncaa will, will still address um i guess it's interesting like does charlie baker saying that mean that whatever happens they're not going to vacate michigan's national championship maybe um but i don't i don't think that means that they're not going to receive no punishment at all yeah i think it would be and again vacating to me is almost like is it is from a bygone era like i don't even know you know, when you see in, in the in the Ohio State Michigan record books that like Ohio State's 2010 win over Michigan is vacated, I ignore that. Like I, mm-hmm. I ignore all vacating, right? So they played the game, whatever. So um, I actually would think, like, but if they are vacating, I think it's more likely they would vacate anything from 21 or 22, vacate a Big Ten title as opposed right. to vacate what happened in 2023. So in the end, I thought in the moment it was the right move, and I I think. The way things played out, it showed it was the right move. What the Big Ten did, suspending Harbaugh like that, because A, I think banning Michigan from the postseason, which is where some Ohio State fans were at that time, if somebody would have stepped in and said, like, you're done, I think that would have been too much because this is a team that, as we saw, was capable of winning the national championship. And to take that completely away based on the evidence at hand in the moment, I think would have been too much. I think there was enough that if Michigan would have won this national championship without any penalty along the way, I think it would it would take away more. People would be pounding the table even more of like, this is a, a fraudulent national title in some way. But Michigan like absorbed the on-field blow of losing Jim Harbaugh for three games and won anyway. So mm-hmm. I actually think Michigan, that was that was actually, as it turned out, to Michigan's benefit that they did take some punishment and survive. So I think it was the right middle ground. And now we see at least something happened. And now we're waiting for the second thing, as opposed to a world where we're sitting here with Michigan having a parade and no punishment when there was evidence of something having happened. Right. I, I think it's a complicated situation. I actually think as uncertain as this is, we're in as good of a spot as we could be in terms of the reality of Michigan's situation and them having a national title that they did win on the field. If it comes out though, that like they really get, get hammered as the question asks, like, like crippling penalties. Mm-hmm. Will you think differently of the initial punishment? Like if you, if you, if, if you had information, that was going to lead you to levy crippling penalties down the road. Should you have taken more action earlier and and perhaps not allowed them to play the rest of the year? I I don't think you could have like banned them in the moment without the full conclusion of the evidence. So I I just don't think that was a realistic option mid-season, no matter what, even if they get the full penalty now. So, and then if you want to vacate in a huge way, like if it's the if it's the worst on-field cheating that we've ever seen in college sports. And then the whole, and then and then you do want to vacate it. I mean, again, it's it's really going to be the the court of public opinion mm-hmm. more than does the average college football fan view it as a valid title or not, right? I think is yeah. is more meaningful yeah. than are they allowed to hang a banner or not, right? right? Yeah. So yeah. okay, but we still think something's coming. All right, I want to talk. I'm excited to talk about this. I know you guys have talked about it on the podcast. It's from Luke. How does your thought of Will Howard running Ohio State's offense change if design quarterback runs aren't part of the plan? So, Bill, this was a discussion 
and and we'll Luke went on to uh, to explain some other things. But that's the bottom line, right? Because there have been some mm-hmm. assumptions about like, okay, he was designed runs were part of what he did at Kansas State, and we were assuming that would be the case at Ohio State. First, for the people who haven't heard you guys talk about it, explain sort of what you his view of this to lay down the foundation, and then how does that affect your view? And I and then I'm excited to check in on this. Yeah, so he he initially said something when we had him on the podcast daily a couple weeks ago about um, like not being a running quarterback, and then he he kind of expanded on that when we spoke to the players on Tuesday, and I I got the impression from him that he felt like he was miscast by Kansas State as a guy who needed to run to be successful, and like it's not like he was running. 15 times a game, right? It's not, we're not talking about a JT Barrett situation. I think, I, I think he had 55 designed runs last year, according to PFF. So it was like four and a half, almost five per game. Um, but even that is, is, you know, a significant uptick from what we're used to with Ohio state's quarterbacks, even Justin Fields. Like I, I think maybe one year he was above that, but I think another year he was below that. Um, and a lot of what he did was scrambling. Um, so I thought, like when Will Howard committed to Ohio State, that they were going to have to incorporate more of that to get the most out of him, to get the best version of Will Howard. And he expressed on Tuesday again that like he's not, not that he's not interested in it, not that he doesn't want to do it, but I guess that he doesn't think that that is as big of part of his game as you might be led to believe if you go back and watch him at Kansas State. So... um I, I don't know that I would agree with the the characterization that it's not going to be part of the plan at all, but certainly for me, like I'm rethinking how much of a part of the plan it's going to be. If I if I thought he was going to run the ball at a similar clip to Kansas State, I think I'm probably wrong on that based off what Will Howard said on Tuesday. I don't believe it. I still think what I thought before. What's his elite trait in the elite trait discussion that we always love having with Ryan Day quarterbacks. Um I mean I don't I don't think it's running. Like I don't think he's an elite runner if that's what you're getting at. Do you do you think it's some combination of that he's like a big physical quarterback who is tough and um yeah. impose his will on defenses and there's some combination of running when he needs to, running in the red zone, like not getting sacked on the first hit kind of stuff, making a play because he's big and tough. Is that is that part of his elite traits or is it or is it more strict he's good at throwing the ball because of this kind of stuff? No, I think like physicality in general, I think is probably a good way to couch it, which includes running ability. But we're not I want to like be clear that like we're not we're not talking about Michael Vick here, right? He's he's like he's right. a willing he is a willing and capable runner. I don't think he's going to blow you away with his ability to run the ball. So, I just think if you're working is in his elite traits that 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 that's remains part of it. And I don't You got to be elite at something. Mm-hmm. And I think in hindsight maybe again, we thought maybe in the moment after the Notre Dame win last year, we and we're, I don't well, we have Kyle McCord question coming up now that maybe like Kyle McCord's trait was like cool under pressure kind of thing, which is more of a personality mental trait than a physical trait. Whether that actually is true or not, I I don't know, but you, we were sort of searching for Kyle McCord's elite trait. Like the idea, I think it makes more sense. And I think they will come around to this 
to use Will Howard's running ability than it is to try to make Will Howard like play like CJ Stroud. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah. So, so like, okay, he ran again by the PFF numbers. He ran 66 times last year. Only seven of them were scrambles. So 59 were called runs. All right. Maybe not 59 called runs, maybe not four a game, but maybe three a game, maybe four a game against the good teams and one a game against in the blowouts, right? As opposed to mm -hmm. a world where with Kyle McCord and CJ Stroud and Dwayne Haskins, it's almost zero. It's almost zero a game called runs with those guys. So I think it is like significantly more than that. And if they're not doing it, I think they're wasting one of his good traits. So I also think like you want to get him in and you want to build him up. Right. And I think when it's, when it's gut check time against Penn state, when it's gut check time against Michigan on second and seven from the 11 yard line, I think they're going to run some zone read and have him keep the yeah. ball some of the time. No, I think, I think so too. I, I think <clears throat> when, when they got Will Howard, we were like kind of like searching for comparisons or like a shorthand of of what this could look like. I did hear some of like, oh, he's like a bigger version of JT Barrett. Like he's not he's not that. No, um, I agree with that. So like if 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 that was the thought, then I guess I could see how someone might hear what Will Howard said on Tuesday and think to themselves, like that doesn't sound right. Like he's got to run the ball. He's I agree with you. He's still going to run the ball. I think it's too important to their offensive success to not have him do it because because I'm with you. He's not. I think he's a good passer. I think there's more to get out of him as a passer, and and I am reasonably confident that Ohio State will get that out of him as a passer. But he has to run. Like you're you're wasting you're wasting skill set if you don't if you don't have him run and keep it a couple of times a game. Um, especially for a team that's like really been searching for answers and short yardage and in the red zone the last couple of years. Like you don't. The best they've been in the red zone the last few years has been with CJ Stroud. I think in his first year, but like CJ Stroud is an incredible red zone passer. Like he's is a precision passer. That's not Will Howard's game, but he can make up for it by running the ball down there. So I, I think they have to embrace it. Uh, it'll, it'll be interesting, I think, to see like Bill O'Brien or or hear Bill O'Brien's I guess philosophy on that when in, when we get to talk to him because if you look at like and he, Will Howard and Bryce Young aren't the same quarterback, but. If you look up Bryce Young in Alabama, like he had rushing yards, yes, but they weren't designed rushing yards. They were all yeah. scrambles. Um, and Will Howard is not a scrambler, as you said. Like he had seven scrambles last year in his career. I think he has like ninety scramble yards in four seasons at Kansas State. That, that he's not a he's not a drop back, shed a tackle. I'm twitchy. I'm going to get away from this, and I'm going to escape and run downfield kind of quarterback. Um, but he is pretty good. I think at reading out some blocks, and he's good with the like. Um, he's good on the zone read. At least in my opinion, he's good on the zone read with like the manipulation of the ball. Like, am I going to hand this off? Am I going to keep it? Which I, I actually think is a pretty important part of that that we don't talk about enough, especially for a guy who's not super explosive. Like, you almost have to trick defenders with how you hold the ball and move the ball in those situations. And he seems to be pretty good at that. Um, so I think they're going to do it, but I don't like, I don't. If I if I in my head had had like six times a game based off what they did at Kansas State, maybe it's more like three times a game. But I still think it's part of the plan. Kyle McCord, according to PF, last year ran thirteen times total, and that's design run and scrambles combined. Mm -hmm. um, and Devin Brown ran fifteen times, like handing the ball in a quarterback run package. So that's the quarterbacks combined ran twenty eight, and Will Howard ran sixty six. Uh, I'll set the over under at sixty. 
for a full season. And again, maybe they're in the, in the playoff and playing a bunch more games. Or I, yeah. I would set it at, I would set it at over three per game, over three runs per game is where I would set it at, which is nowhere close to JT Barrett, but is significantly more yeah. than any Ohio state quarterback in the Ryan day head coaching area. That isn't Justin Fields. So that's all. Yeah. And, and also, it's one of those things like you get a guy, you're telling the guy in the portal whose choices are NFL draft or Ohio State, you're telling like, we want you. It's like, well, I, I, I was going to go to the draft. It's like, yeah, but we're going to teach you. We're going to turn you into it. We're going to elevate you as a thrower. You can't yeah. tell that guy in the portal, hey, come to Ohio State, skip the NFL draft. We're going to ram you into the line 150 times a game. <laughs> right? So I think that has to be the discussion now. It, it's not They're not lying to him, but they're accentuating – the reasons he came here. And then when it's third and two, and what have we talked about more than what is the number one topic of conversation in the last three years for Ohio State football? It's short yardage plays. The quarterback is 6'5". Yeah. He's going to be a problem solver in the short yardage plays. I just, I cannot envision a world where that's not the case. Yeah, and I also like I want to make it clear that like Will Howard didn't say like I I don't want to run like he yeah. didn't he didn't he didn't do the what was it the Nebraska game where CJ Stroud's like I'm not a running back, um, that's not what Will Howard said. I, I think maybe the most important thing he said was like I'll do whatever we have to do to win the game, um, which includes I think him running in the biggest games. But but I think the thing that he wanted to push back on, and which I I, I did truly seem like it rubbed him the wrong way. He said like early in his career at Kansas State, he was kind of. Uh, pigeonholed as a running quarterback to the point where like the call sheet had like in the corner the Will Howard plays and they were like all run plays. So like I, I think he wants to express that he's not he's not that, but he can run in addition yeah. to be in addition to throwing the ball. Yeah. Yeah. My my the my opinion has changed zero. I just ignore what okay. people say and and drive straight ahead on what I think based on no information or evidence. Yeah. Your opinion on how your opinion on Will Howard and how much he will run has changed what percent pre conversation post conversation not not significantly like okay. uh, I don't know thirty percent or so like uh, well, yeah. yeah like I I still think he's gonna run yeah. okay all right let's talk now about this quarterback question this is an interesting from interesting one from our guy Dan in the three one two now the time has passed emotions have flattened. The roster looks different, and we can look objectively and with data and stats. Here's the question. I love a good preamble. That is, mm -hmm. can you imagine, like, someone with their thumbs type that preamble to a question? Such respect for that. Great. Would the 2024 Buckeyes be better served with second-year starter Kyle McCord or first-year starter Will Howard? Dan believes McCord in his second year would have been a better option. What do you think, Bill Landis? Um. Like statistically, Kyle bore out as a better passer than Will Howard. The thing that's difficult for me is like, you know, the offenses they were in and the players they were playing with. Like, I think if Will Howard were in Ohio State's offense last year, his numbers would look pretty good too. I just think that Will Howard has more ways to solve problems than Kyle McCord does. Um, I think Kyle McCord needs to be in a clean pocket with an on-time play. And when it is, he looks pretty good. Um, if he has to extend that play, if he has to navigate pressure, if he has to do something with his legs, if he has to make quick decisions, 
I don't know that I saw a lot from him last year that leads me to believe he was going to be demonstrably better at that in 2024. And I'm not saying that like Will Howard is a better processor or a quick decision maker or a quicker decision maker than Kyle McCord. But I do think Will Howard has the ability to make up for it if he's not with his legs, with extending a play, with shaking off a, a potential sack because he's 6'5 and 230 pounds or so. Um, so I think I'd rather have Will Howard than second year Kyle McCord. But it's not like a like it, it's it's a question worth discussion, like worth discussing. Like I think it's a good thing that Dan brings up here because it's not like Kyle McCord is a truly he's not an awful quarterback and he's got some skills that you, that you like and he would have more institutional knowledge of the offense and and going into his second year running the offense. So like I I get it, but my preference would still be Will Howard. So I do think I think it's a super interesting question. I think the reality of the situation it was it wasn't a Kyle McCord or Will Howard question when Ohio State gave its answer. It was like Kyle McCord versus the field. Mm-hmm. Kyle McCord versus anybody else that you might get, which included maybe Devin Brown balling out in the bowl game, which included maybe Riley Leonard from Duke, which included maybe Dylan Gabriel from Oklahoma, right? That that, And I think in that moment, given that you were maybe a little uncertain about Kyle's floor and ceiling, right? That there, I don't know that there was a sure floor to say, well, we know it's at least going to be this good and maybe it'll be even better. I just, I don't know that you were there on that. I think you, I think taking the field was what you had to do. And then Will Howard of all available options was probably what, like pretty much right in the middle of, of the, the ways they could have found a starting quarterback for 2024, or is he above the middle? Is he more like, Hey, this is about 70% of optimization or 80% of optimization, given what the possibilities were once Kyle McCord wasn't going to be here. I think he's slightly above the middle, like maybe 65 or 70%. Okay. And I think that's fair. So I, I, again, it's like, I think they were in a place where they couldn't be a hundred percent certain about Kyle McCord. So then they sort of in the moment had to move on. So I think, but that's a different question than would second year Kyle McCord be better than first year Will Howard? Because it's like, well, what if you got Dylan Gabriel? You know what I mean? Like, like, yeah. Like if Kyle McCord stayed, you weren't going to get Dylan Gabriel. If Kyle McCord left, you had a chance to get Dylan Gabriel. And I'm not saying Dylan Gabriel is that much better than Will Howard. So I think we have to think about it that way. But this is a, another, and it's an addendum to uh, the good question from Dan. This is from Tyler. Can Ohio State win a title next year, given how much talent is coming back with the same level of quarterback play as McCord? So like, and and he didn't love the text. Of, he didn't love the text about Will Howard wanting to throw, <laughs> wanting to throw yeah. and not wanting to run as much. Like, as much as they are replacing Kyle McCord, is Kyle McCord level play good enough with all these defensive guys back, with adding Caleb Downs, with adding an experienced center, with a two-headed running back with Judkins and Henderson? Is that the level? Or do they need better than that? God, that's a hard question to answer in 30 seconds. No, it, it is. But I, I, I guess my I would start my answer with, I guess, wondering out loud what the offense is going to look like next year. Like you bring in Quinshot Judkins, you have Travion Henderson. If you are, I don't want to say pivoting, but leaning more into being a run-centric offense, then I think that lessens um, the level of quarterback play you need to ultimately be successful. Like It's it's kind of like the Michigan model. We're going to play really good defense and run the football, and our quarterback doesn't have to be Superman. Um, 
so if that's the case with the high state's offense, then, then I then I guess the answer to that question is is yes. Like what they got out of the quarterback quarterback position last year could be good enough. But I don't I don't know. I'm still trying to wrap my head around what exactly this offense is going to look like, sort of stylistically, this year. Because I, I, while I do think they'll run the ball better just based off talent in their backfield, like it's, it's hard for me to wrap my mind around the idea of like Ryan Day really leaning into being more of a power run offense than the, an offense that still wants to pass it more than it runs. So, um, until I get a different answer on that, or like Ryan Day tells me that they are changing things, I think that they need an elevated level of quarterback play than what they had last year. One more addendum question from our guy, Daniel, who actually knows about K-State. Are we worried that we're going to have a loaded team, but not the quarterback play to win it all? I love K-State. So I've watched almost every game they've played since Will Howard got to Manhattan, and he's been great at times and terrible at times. He's not that accurate, and we are 100% glossing over the fact that he got outplayed by and was going to be replaced by Avery Johnson, the other quarterback at K-State. I think it's possible. I actually, I actually, I absolutely think of like if we drew up, a, you know, the hundred different scenarios or a hundred percent of what could happen to Ohio State, and like all the guys coming back play great, and it all comes together, and they win the national title is a is a pretty decent sized chunk of that. Mm-hmm. I think everything else is in place, and the quarterback play holds them back. Is one of the slices of that pie. I don't sure. know that it's a huge slice, but it's a slice, is it not? Yeah. No. I. I mean. I. I've. I've made sure to make the point that one Kansas state brought in Adrian Martinez as a transfer two years ago, because it wasn't sure if Will Howard was going to be the guy. And that that if Will Howard had returned to Kansas state this year, there was no guarantee that he was going to be the starting quarterback. Cause they clearly like Avery Johnson quite a bit to the point where they were playing them both at times uh, last year. I don't know that like, I don't think Will Howard was actually ever in jeopardy of like losing his job to Avery Johnson last year. Um, but with an off season of development, certainly that was on the table this year, I, I think. Um, so it's a possibility. Like it's, it's the question in my mind, I think I like quarter quarterback play offensive line. Those are the two things, but quarterback play is, is part of that. Like, I don't, I don't think Ohio state, I'm, I'm not going to sit here in January 31st and tell you that like Ohio state nailed it at quarterback. They're going to be awesome this year. I think there are lingering questions about whether or not that position will actually be good enough. But, um, like you said, like, I don't, I don't think it's a, terribly large piece of the pie but it is a, it is a part of it yeah another slice of that pie is give will howard Emeka buka jeremiah smith and carnell tate to throw yeah. to and he looks like a first round pick for that, sure that's absolutely on the board which is again which is why i think like the field was a better answer for them than kyle mccord i also think you mentioned the michigan model right michigan beat penn state this year without throwing the ball in the second half because their right tackle couldn't block the penn state edge guys and they said well that's it if Ohio State gets to a tough game where like Howard doesn't have it throwing the ball that day, I think with like Quinshot Judkins as a tackle breaker and Will Howard as a physical quarterback, and at the very least, probably an improved offensive line, even if it's not a 10 out of 10, mm-hmm. I think they could do what Michigan did in the second half against Penn State. I think Ohio State can do its version of that and survive. And I don't think they could have done that last year. With that offensive line, with a quarterback who's not a run threat, with really only Travion Henderson, who's really more of a boomer bust home run guy, right? Who's not really a grinded out four yards per carry runner. If they would have gotten in a tough spot, I don't know that they could have done that. I think this offense will have more options this year, more different ways to win. And if it's a day where you have to run it, great, which really has Ryan Day 
I guess with J.K. Dobbins in 2019, J.K. 2,000-yard rusher can get you what you need to get, right? But mm-hmm. all right, throw out the game plan. We're going Quinshawn and Will until they stop it, and they're never going to stop it. I think it can win you a game. Yeah, I, th- I think after you know the last, the first the two years of CJ and the the last year of Kyle McCord, like they had to throw to win. There just there was no other yes. option. Um, and and I yeah, I think I'm with you. There's there are other answers. I think within this offense with the personnel they have. This year. Now get like I'm I love throwing to win when it it's when it's CJ Stroud. Like you have to go by your personnel. So mm-hmm. the idea of let's try to make Will Howard into CJ Stroud with the talent around him, with the coaching he's going to get here, with this offense. But if it doesn't work, there's another thing I think is, is a good solution. Yeah. So right. it's not C.J. Stroud or bust. All right, we're going to take a breath. We've got to take a quick break. We're going to come back. We're going to talk about C.J. Stroud. We're going to talk about Ryan Day's future. We're going to talk about sandwich conspiracies next on Kings of Columbus. And we're back on Kings of Columbus. You guys can see when you're watching on the YouTube show, our handy dandy little phone graphic on the side. That's where we get the, we put the subtext messages in there. What is subtext? It's the way we close the loop on this relationship. You guys on, on subtext, you're our focus group. We send you surveys. You ask us questions. You help us decide what we should talk about. We give you information as we hear it. We give you expert opinions. Like well, you don't have to wait until a show or a podcast to get it. Uh, we love it. We love it, and we think you know that audience is only going to expand. We love everybody who's part of Kings of Columbus, who's part of the podcast, who, who's part of Kings of the North. But man, like this is this is the diehards. This is like the people who want to be inside. So six one four six six two four five zero nine is the way you can sign up for that, or you can go uh, on the Google machine, joinsubtext.com backslash the podcast osu. If for some reason sending a text to that number, 614-662-4509 is not getting you a link back to sign up. Every now and then we, we have somebody who says that. You can go to that website as well. So we're just, we're so grateful. It wouldn't be the same kind of show. Not that we do text questions every show, but just that audience, being able to correspond with that audience is, is we hope it's good for, for that audience, for you guys who do that. It's really good for us. So thanks to everybody who does that. Uh, let's talk about the NFL. This is Tomer E. Would I would love your thoughts on Buckeyes in the NFL. Did you expect CJ to be this good his rookie year? And did Ryan Day hold him back? Also, is Chase Young a bust? So let's talk about CJ first. What he did this year with maybe as good of a rookie season as any quarterback in modern NFL history, were you surprised? Um, no, well, I guess I'm surprised that it was so good so early, but not surprised that he's good. Like, I thought he was going to be very good in the NFL. Um, I would have like, you know, I would have taken him first overall if I were making those decisions. Um, cause I think we saw it over the course of two years at Ohio state with how quickly he processed things with how he had pocket feel, his accuracy, his ability to throw it all over the field. Um, he actually had like some play extension that he showed in the second year at Ohio state. So like it was all there. So I'm not, I'm not surprised at all that he's this good. Do you get gun shy sometimes in your opinions? Um, because you don't want to be myopic and trapped mm-hmm. in your own little world. But I certainly thought, like, this guy's different. Like, whatever all the rest of this stuff is, the guy is just wired different. 
in terms of the way he thinks about the game, the way he studies the game, the way he's able to translate his intelligence into his accuracy and putting balls in tight windows. And again, he said it. He always thought, I think, that he was almost more of an NFL quarterback than a college quarterback. And so he was right. But then as the doubts were sort of creeping up and obviously the weird offseason stuff with CJ that I, I certainly thought all that stuff was nonsense. But like trying to tell people like, I don't like uh, I'm not, we're not pretending we're going around and comparing him to every player in the country, but the guy is just different. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I thought I like maybe like in hindsight, it's like, should you, should we have shouted that? Should I have shouted that from the rooftops? Like even more because it's like, you don't, you don't want to be caught in your own little world, but were you sure it was going to happen this fast? No. And I think, are you surprised that it happened this fast? Not at all. Cause the dude is just different. Yeah. The, the, the whatever surprise there is about it happening this fast is less about CJ and more about like the Houston Texans and like whether or not the things are going to be around him for him to be as good as he has been. Um, and they did a nice job of putting stuff around him, but it's not like he's not working with the 49ers offense either. You know what I mean? Like he's, he's elevated that group, I think, which, which maybe, maybe I didn't expect him to be able to do to this extent. So early, I think is like to, to make that offense what it became and get that team to the playoffs. But like, I definitely, definitely, definitely thought he was going to be an incredible pro quarterback. Cause like, like you said, like there's just, there was just a different vibe around him. And it's like the way he handles his business, the way he studies the game, the way he thinks about football. Um, he was like a pro the day he showed up at Ohio state. And like, I know we say that a lot. And so maybe that lessens its meaning, but like, it was really true with, with CJ, like he, and like, he believed that he was going to be this too. So yeah, when he expressed that to you, it was hard. It was hard not to buy into it. Do you think Ryan day held him back? Do you think he was held back at Ohio state in any way? No, I like how I I don't, I don't, I don't think so. He doesn't run. He doesn't run. Like he does not run in the NFL. He still does not run in the NFL. Like, does he on occasion do what needs to be done in moments? Yeah, of course. Um, I don't, again, it's one of those things. He averaged 360 passing yards a game against Michigan and the two losses. Like it's not, mm-hmm. I don't, I don't know what that would be. And I do think a lot of it is just, it's more about the nature of the game and that the NFL is just different than Ohio state, even though Ohio state runs an NFL style offense. Um, but like, he's not up there like running all over the place. So I, I think. I don't think so either, but I guess that's what people are talking about. Like if they felt like he was told, that was always a thing here. Was he told not to run? Like don't cross the line of scrimmage. Like don't run at all or whatever. Like, you know, I Ryan Day loved when he scrambled and got out of the pocket and did a little bit with his legs against Georgia. I don't, I don't know. I don't know if anyone ever put that in his brain. Um, not to belabor this point, but I mean, again, like Ryan Day is the head coach of the starting, is the coach of the starting quarterback, but I'm, and Corey Dennis in that room with him. I mean, it's like that's I I can't pretend that's zero percent of this. I mean, like and and again, when he talks about the people who have helped him along the way, he certainly talks Ryan Day and Todd Fitch. Like when it comes down to the the, the specifics of playing the quarterback position, but he's just geared toward it. I do still think in college. Do you still think in college generally they do want a little bit more of a running element from a quarterback? Yeah, I think generally. So. Yeah, they're they're well. I think I think college football in general is just more willing to do it because you're not paying your starting quarterback $20 million a year. Yeah. So um, what do you think about Chase Young? I definitely had a conversation with somebody when he came out that, that was like, somebody was like, I don't know. Like they don't see it to the same degree. And I was like, what are you talking about? I think he's the final evolution of the Bosa brothers. Yeah. 
and it kind of hasn't popped. I mean, obviously, I have injury issues uh, with the Commanders, and the Commanders are a messed up franchise, and now the trade to the 49ers. He's in the Super Bowl, but you know, you watch the 49ers on their run, like down to down, he's not nearly as impactful as Nick Bosa is on the other side. And I would have said, I, I in the NFL, I think he will be as impactful as Nick Bosa. So I don't know. I do feel like he has, even without the injury situation, not lived up to what I thought he would be because I thought he would be a game wrecker. And I, I wouldn't call him a bust, but short of expectations. And I don't know that I know why. But bust to me feels like washed out of the league, right? Like I don't like, and that's that's certainly not where where Chase Young is. But he was he was a second pick in the draft, yes. right? Um, so he hasn't lived up to that. And like I would have bought every uh, shred of Chase Young stock you could have sold me when he went to the NFL. Like I thought he was going to be a Hall of Famer, um, yeah. and he's and he's not that. So he's definitely not not lived up to. The billing, um, and then the Washington didn't. Uh, Washington declined his fifth year option, right? Which is like the ultimate sign of like we don't really believe you're the guy. So um, I'm I'm surprised by that for sure. Um, I don't know, like bust bust feels. I don't know. Maybe it's right. Maybe it's accurate. I don't I don't know what other words you would use, but um, like serviceable NFL player for sure. Like it reminds me a little bit of like Jadavian Clowney, um, mm-hmm. who like I probably didn't quite live up to his draft standing either, but has been like a productive reserve pass rusher on some good defenses, like a almost like a pinch hitter. Like, okay, it's a passing down. Let's throw Clowney out there and let him go after the quarterback. Like maybe, maybe that's Chase Young's career now moving forward. But yeah, definitely nowhere near as dominant as I thought he would be when he came out of Ohio state. If, if someone would have said Sam Hubbard's going to be a better NFL player than Chase Young, like given what mm-hmm. they did at Ohio State, I really thought Sam Hubbard had a chance to like sort of fall through the cracks in the NFL as sort of a little bit of a tweener. And it turns out that like Sam Hubbard is like a foundational piece yeah. of a Cincinnati Bengals franchise that believes it should compete for the Super Bowl every year. And like I, I, that's absolutely not what Chase Young has been. So like I, it's interesting that, that Chase Young has the number two pick in that draft, and Jeff Okuda at number three. Jeff Okuda was even more of a disappointment. Traded by the like the Lions, one of the four last teams. He was one of their huge draft picks along the way, and he had zero part of their success. Also had some injury stuff, but they also gave up on him and traded him to Atlanta and just has not had it. It's odd. Yeah. When you think about what Denzel Ward has been in the pros, what Marshawn Lattimore has been in the pros, again, Okuda's not close. When you think about what the Bosa brothers have been, what Hubbard has been, Young has contributed more than Okuda, but not close to that standard. That's not what I would have thought. No, me neither. All right, let's talk about basketball this is a good way to get into it from our guy lucas can you dive in a little on how the transition at an athletic director works if they do want to make a change and fire chris holtman even if you wait until the end of the season you ideally don't want to wait until the summer when ross bjork officially takes over i'm just curious what that situation behind closed doors looks like and if there's any insight there thanks so again as people know ross bjork is the new ad in waiting at Ohio State, but Gene Smith is the AD until the end of June. Ross Bjork officially becomes the decision maker on July 1. Ross Bjork said he's going to be around starting probably like March 1. So they made it like in the news conference, they said Gene Smith's making the decisions as long as he's here. But, right, that's... We know that that's there's something more to it than that. When they fired, when Gene Smith fired Thad Mata, it was in the summer at a weird time. Because it was June. It, yeah. It was June. And so to get to that situation again, where a world where 
Like if Ross Bjork would fire Chris Holtman on July 2nd, that would not be a good situation for Ohio State. We don't know. We don't have insight for sure how this would work. Could you see a world where working in tandem, maybe Bjork, and and listen, by the way, you know whose decision it really is? Ted Carter, because he's the president. So like Mm -hmm. Ted Carter can tell whoever happens to be sitting in the desk at the AD's office, fire the basketball coach. And if Ross Bjork is in here as the guy that Ted Carter personally chose to be the AD, and if Ross is like, this is not working, this is not working, this is not working, this is not working, and says that to Ted Carter, then Ted Carter can tell Gene Smith to follow Chris, fire Chris Holtman. Couldn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah, he could. Um, I don't know. I guess that would only happen if like the, the bottom line was being affected tremendously, and I don't, I don't know that it is like obviously basketball is not a big money maker for Ohio state, but it is a money maker. It's one of the two in addition to football that Ohio state has. Um, so like if that ever got into a drastic situation, I think that's where a university president might do something like that. I, I don't know. Barely over 10,000 in attendance at the lost Illinois. Yeah. Night so that's program like that when it's good is in the top four or five in attendance yeah. in the big 10. And now they're like between seventh mm-hmm. and ninth and 10,000 is not good. I think that's, I, but I think that's what gets you there, right? And Gene Smith was there with Ted Carter at at the game against Illinois on Tuesday night that that Ohio State lost. So, like, I don't know, this Ted Carter sitting in a half empty arena saying, like, what are we doing here? Like, I th- I think that could that could get him there, right? Um, he definitely might be doing that. Yeah. So I don't think so, he was there because he wanted to see if Felix Opara's offensive game was elevating. <laughs> yeah, he's just a big fan of Brad Underwood. Yeah. Um, I don't. So so yeah, I I think it's possible. Um. At the moment, my view is probably still that Chris Holtman gets another year of like true evaluation from full-time AD Ross Bjork, and before any kind of change is even like entertained. But like this is really bad, man. It's the second year in a row of them bottoming out, bottoming, bottoming out. Excuse me, in January, and uh, I'm, I'm, I'm not shocked that it's happening, but I'm a little surprised that it's happening again. And it's interesting to me that like Gene Smith. Fired Thad Amata, like ostensibly because they were like losing recruiting battles. Like, and like, um, who was the kid? Darius Baisley, is yeah. that his name? The kid from Cincinnati was like committed to Ohio State. So, like, I don't want to go to Ohio State because like I want to play in the NBA and I don't think they can get me there. And it was like two weeks later, Thad was fired. And then he never went to college at all. And he never went to college. Um, he was like a New Balance intern and then went to the NBA. Um, but like that, that like seemed that, to how be, dare you lose a player to the New Balance Human Resources Department, right? Which is like, and I'm not, I'm not trying to um, discount the importance of recruiting. Like, clearly, it's it's important. You know, what's more important is winning games. So, like, why, why, why does losing a recruit push Gene Smith to fire Thad Mata, but losing games the clip that Ohio State has the last two years has like not gotten him the budget at all from his support of Chris Holman? It's very odd to me. I think it's program momentum, right? So that that they were not winning Thad's last two years, and then you add in that, and it felt like the program was was falling, mm-hmm. and so that's why that, that's where the program is right now. It's falling, and apathy is a real thing, and fewer tickets and less money is a real thing. I thought, like, right, like a year ago, I went last February, I went to a game and just wrote that, like, this is this program is lost, and then as soon as they wrote it, they like went on a run in the Big Ten tournament. Everybody was like, "See, Chris Holtman's great." Mm-hmm. And it's the same thing. So, like, to fire him a year ago, I think, was never on the table because of the extension, but also because it's like they had sw- they had flipped the switch last year to play the freshman to build to something, and now this is what they built to. 
Now, all those guys that they were building, they're they're not old guys, but they're sophomores with a lot of experience. And the Bruce Thornton, Roddy Gale, Felix Akpara team is still not winning. And so you have to see what happens at the end of the season. I think Chris Holtman very well could be fired at the end of the season because I think Ted Carter may not stand for the only the second program in the largest athletic department in the country that makes money by the financial figures they put out last week for the last fiscal years, like the football program made like 55 million and the basketball program made 10 and that's mm-hmm. it. Everything else loses money. Again, it's, a, it's nowhere close to football, but you like, you can't sit on your hands here. And so I think if they don't turn it around, I'll pro- I think he's fired if they don't turn it around. And like the, o- I think the only thing that would, would hold people back at this point is, is the AD transition. That mm-hmm. is just a little clunky on the timing, but I don't think Ted Carter and Ross Bjork and maybe Gene Smith would allow that. Oh man, the basketball program stinks, but ugh, we're really busy getting the boxes out of Gene's office and, and Ross wants to paint the walls. We don't have time to fire the basketball coach. Like I don't think they'll let that hold them back. And if they don't turn it around, I think indisputably he would deserve to be fired. And then I think he will be fired. So I think to the if point of Lucas, yeah. I don't think it holds them back that much. I, I I see it a little bit differently than you, I guess. Just just on the the dynamics here, it's not it's not um, me saying that he shouldn't be fired because I agree with you. If they don't turn it around, he should be fired. I was actually watching the game on Tuesday night, thinking like, is this his last game? <laughs> like legitimately, <laughs> no, for for real, because like there was a point where they were like oh, like they were like teetering on like getting run off the floor again like they still they wasn't a competitive game they still lost by double digits but like they after losing the way they lost to northwestern on the road and then coming back and playing the way they played against illinois which is like a better team like i understand that but like you're at home you're reeling your backs against the wall you can't play better than that um i actually thought that we might have been watching his last game and like i'm not i, I guess i, I want to say this like i used to cover basketball full-time i don't cover it at all anymore so like i, I don't want to pretend to like have my finger on the pulse of the day-to-day dynamics of the basketball program. I just like kind of watch them in passing on television, but I thought that as, as I was watching the game on Tuesday night. Um, the only thing that makes me think he's not going to get fired is the weird dynamics of the AD change. I, but I agree with you in the sense that like as soon as Gene announced his retirement and we knew there was going to be a new AD and that the timeline was going to be kind of funky, I just figured Chris Holtman was safe no matter what happened this year, and I don't think that anymore, but my lean is still that the AD change will probably buy him another year. And I, I think in a world where they're peddled to the metal into the new era where football is king and money is the number two king, I don't think they would let logistics hold them back from the decision that they think now. Like, And then even if Gene is the, like Ross has to hire it, right? Like like that, th- there would be some yeah, questions, right? Like, sure. like, well, who gets to hire it? You can't have the outgo. Now, but the other thing is that Texas A&M um, – Scott Woodyard was leaving to be the LSU AD and like hired Buzz Williams as a basketball coach, like right before Ross Bjork took over. So like, I don't, again, the logistics of, I don't know, maybe Gene's like, it's not working. I got a guy, Ted, I got a guy. It's not working. I got a guy. It's still my program. I'm telling you, this is the guy I've had my eye on him forever. He's the guy. And Ted's like, well, Ross is coming in. Gene's like, I got this. You know, like I, I think it might be. But if you're Ted Carter, I wouldn't let him do that. But here's the thing. I think the biggest I think they can unite on this isn't it and make a move and then the clunkiness is in who's next. But 
you have to work through that. I think they could decide whatever clunkiness there is on how we figure out who's making the decision on hiring the guy next. We're united in this ain't it. So, And I don't think the fact that there might be a a struggle between the outgoing AD and the incoming AD on who has final say on the new coach, I don't think that's a reason to keep the old coach. I agree with that. I think that's right. You can't make a bad hire. You can't make a bad hire. That's what worries me. But but like they're they're off the cliff with apathy, I think. Right? Like they have there's no juice to the program. I there's thought no it was juice. an interesting mo- moment. Like I was gonna flip on the game again, like you. I once upon a time, many moons ago, much longer ago than you, covered basketball full time. I certainly do not now. I think well, Holtman knows now if I show up, it's not for good reasons. So <laughs> the the uh I was gonna flip it on last night and it was on Peacock. Mm-hmm. And I, I, this was like a line in the sand moment for me. It's like, I care enough about Ohio State basketball to maybe flip it on in the background on a channel that I already get that I'm already paying for. I definitely do not care enough to pay for a new channel to watch. So I thought that was like like the, driving the Peacock subscriptions. It's like, I didn't drive squat. Yeah. I wonder how many people watching this, listening to this, had that thought because they're playing a couple games on Peacock coming up, right? Like that's a little bit of the- yeah. They've played. Uh, this is like their fourth or fifth game on Peacock, I think. It's a that that was a big part of the of the new media race. Driving There's a lot of a ba- lot of basketball on Peacock. They driving? Does that when you sit in the meeting with that Peacock and the Peacock's wearing like a three piece suit? The Peacock's mm-hmm. like this isn't good enough because that's how a Peacock in a meeting <laughs> would talk. Peacock's. Yeah. Oh, guys, this is we're not getting we're not driving subscriptions. But Mr. Peacock, it's a little bit clunky with the AD. Uh, it doesn't matter to me, Peacock. <laughs> He's a chicken, though. <laughs> Peacock in a three-piece suit. You can. You, right. Do you think, like, uh, just to put a bow on this, like, if they want to make a change, they can't wait until Ross Bjork is the full-time AD, right? They can't wait until July to do it? Or do you think they could and get away with it? I guess they could. I would rather work out whatever needs to be worked out with any internal struggle and make it on a normal hiring timetable than wait and not hurt feelings. So it's like Gene is running the department until June 30th. Gene is running the department until June 30th. We're united in the fact that the basketball program is not where it can be, where it should be. We need to make a move. It's Ross's hire. I think you've just got to work through that. Like, that's why they make the big bucks. Ted Carter has to work through that. Right. And it doesn't, yeah. like, I don't, and like, if, if, or, or Ross, Gene's still the boss. It's Gene's hire. You're going to have a lot of decisions to make, Ross. This is still it. Gene knows this athletic department and this program better than anybody. He made the Chris Holtman hire. He thought it would work. It didn't. He's got somebody in mind. We're going to bring that person in. And if we like him, We'll all be in on the meeting, on the discussion, but Gene's got somebody. Like, whatever that is, you've got, I would rather work through that than wait. Work it out. Yeah. No, I, Don't I would rather. by logistics. Yep. I'm with you. Let's talk sandwiches. The, what does it say on the screen? Big sandwich and little sandwich conspiracy. All right. So, no one knows. Mike and, and Bill don't know what this is beyond that. This is from Ian. 
Here's a food question. How come when you go to a sandwich shop, Subway, Jersey Mike's, Jimmy John's, et cetera, they give you a sandwich that is somewhere between 8 and 12 inches long usually? If you get catering from the exact same store, they cut the sandwiches into little three-inch portions. Why do they think 12 inches is a good amount of sandwich for one person, but when feeding a group, suddenly mm. a quarter of the sandwich is what you get? This has to be big sandwich selling less for more and emptying the pockets of their hungry, loyal customers. Landis, you're nodding. What do you think of this sandwich conspiracy? I like it. I, I have I have a complex about this. Um, so, like, there's a place in Philly called Primo Hoagies, um, which is like a local chain. They're like down in Florida a little bit now on the Jersey Shore too. They're not all. They're not just uh, relegated to Philadelphia, but like, you're having a family get together. You're having a business lunch or whatever. You're going to get yourself a hoagie tray from Primos, but they do the same thing where they cut it into little like two inch, three inch pieces. But like, I want a whole hoagie. But I also feel like a slob if I go to the hoagie tray and I get 12 little pieces yeah. to make an entire what is a normal like normal length sandwich. It's like I'm not being a glutton. I'm just hungry. I want to eat a whole sandwich. I don't want to eat a little sliver of sandwich. So I've always wondered why they do that. Why why don't they just cut them in half? Here's a half a sandwich. And like, you know, I'll eat two of them and I'll feel better about myself. But I I I, I don't know. Is it a maybe it's just um is it like a spatial thing, like for the trays that they use? Like you can't, you can't uh, neatly align uh, twenty half a sandwiches in a one thing. So they got to cut those half a sandwiches into three parts to make it more uniform, sort of like a puzzle fitting together. I do think they're again back. To, it's just a logistics show at this point. It's like how do you fire a basketball coach and how do you properly create travel ready sandwiches? But I do think you have to fit them in the tray. So there's, there's two things here for me. One is I like the smaller sandwich better. Mm. So I actually sometimes when it's not a catering tray, and as we talked about this, our place Wario's in Columbus for the steak sandwiches, we got them catered for my daughter's graduation party. And it was little mini steak sandwiches. And I thought it tasted better small. So now I want to go to Wario's not when I'm getting catering and say, can I have seven small steak sandwiches, right? <laughs> I think it almost tastes better small. But the thing is, I think in the end, we have to decide as a society that we are not going to shame small sandwich consumption. And I think whether it is Ian, whether it is you, Bill, if you are in a situation where there are many small sandwiches, you should feel completely at ease grabbing as many small sandwiches as you need to make a big sandwich. And we have to stop the shame cycle in those situations where people are like, oh, man, did you see Ian? He took five little sandwiches. It's one big sandwich. Right. You're not eating nine sandwiches. It's You're building up to one sandwich. So I do think it's more of a logistical issue, but we have to fight through that. And with some grace toward each other, not give the side eye, not harumph. Let people yeah. get enough sandwich to make a full sandwich. I'm, I'm, you're, you're preaching to the choir. Um, the Wario, I'm, 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 as soon as you said little Wario's, geez, sakes, I, I, I stopped listening to anything you said. Yeah. Um, are they like cut up versions of the full Wario sandwich or do they have like a different smaller roll that they use to make mini cheesesteaks? I think it is cut up, but I think they pack the meat more tightly into the bread. 
And then you get like, it is, it's tight. You know, I've talked before about, I like a tight roll on a Mm -hmm. wrap. Like it is tight. It is like, it's jammed in there. And so I do think it's just like a sandwich cut into thirds or fourths, but there's, I don't know if they maybe put in extra meat to live up to the smaller bread. So, you know what I mean? Like it's, yeah. It is. This is all the same thing we talked about, like with, with like with Reese's peanut butter cups. It's it's peanut butter and chocolate, but depending on the thing you're getting, the ratio of peanut butter to chocolate changes. So I do think sometimes with the size of a sandwich, the ratio can change. And I sure. feel like maybe you get more meat in the smaller sandwich, which is why I like it. So, yeah, you get you get that with a ho- with a or I call them hoagies, but like a, a, a sub. Like sometimes I'll get a I'll get a hoagie and like be mad that it's like all lettuce. Yeah. Um, but when you get the smaller ones, I feel like they're better about portioning out the the uh, toppings better. Yeah. And like actually giving you more meat and cheese. So I don't know that we can change the world, but we can change how we feel inside. So Ian, eat as many little sandwiches as you want. You have permission. Yep. Let's talk about Ryan Day. Do you think Ryan Day can win it all? This is Adam F. Um he, and he has a much longer question about like, it always bothered me that Urban Meyer had the winning formula. And the minute Ryan Day takes over, he takes it and rips the formula up and starts this love conquers all stuff, which is great for a high school swim team, but not big boy football. It bothers me that it has taken him over five years to realize that the way uh, he was trying to do things wasn't the winning formula. Your thoughts. Thanks for the show, guys. And as always, appreciate all the shows. So um, I think he can. And I think that is affected by, I do think he made changes this offseason that show growth as a coach, but I really think parallel paths, parallel paths, parallel paths. I don't think there's anything even in the past that Ryan Day did that was holding them back from winning at all. I think maybe there were things that were holding them back from beating Michigan. And now mm-hmm. you don't have to beat Michigan to win it all in the 12 team playoff. And so, like, I, I think the not living up to expectations conversation around Ryan Day, however you want to couch that, if you want to call it failure, if you want to call it not doing what's whatever, it's it's a Michigan conversation. I do not think it is really a conversation the other one 51 weeks of the year. So, I mean, like the Georgia game, they're right there. He had everything you needed to win it all. Marvin Harrison Jr. doesn't get hurt. You make the field goal, whatever. It was all right there. They had it. I don't think anyone would walk away and say, ah, oh, they were lacking something there. They mm-hmm. had everything you need. I think you could look at the last two Michigan games and say they were lacking something. I think it's specific to that scenario. So, A, I kind of always thought he could win it all. I don't know if I always thought he could beat Michigan. And B, I think he's addressed most of the concerns this offseason. So, I absolutely think he can win it all. What about you? I think he can win it all. The, the, and I, I think you're right. I think most of what has held him back has been a Michigan thing and not like a, not necessarily like a, a big game thing. Um, obviously Michigan is a big game, but it's sort of like a separate category. Um, the one thing I have been wondering about in like the 12 team playoff now is like, because the, what you would fall back on to say that, yeah, Ryan Day can win a national championship is I think playing well and like should have won against Clemson in 2019 beating the brakes off Clemson in 2020 and having a really good plan against uh, Georgia in 2022 and almost winning that game when no one really gave him much of a shot to do that. But the dynamics of the postseason are changing. We're like, you're not going to have a month to prepare for those games. You're not going to have a month to prepare for the 
quarterfinals semi or semifinals and national championship game, like it's going to be tighter windows. Like I think Ryan Day has done a really good job of using that extended runway to prepare for those semifinal games, and he's just not going to always have that mm-hmm. in the new postseason. So I do I do wonder about that a little bit. Like you can't you can't only play your best when you have a month to prepare for it. I guess is what I'm trying to say. Um, and I think that'll be a different dynamic for Ryan Day. It's not, and I don't think it's not a reason for me to say that he can't do it. It's just something in my head where like it's more of a regular season model now in the postseason where you have uh, you know two weeks maybe to prepare for a game rather than four or sometimes five even. Um, but I do think I think he has the chops for it. I think he's he's always been a little slow. I think to address things that I think have been glaring issues, but he eventually does address them. And he has addressed, I think, a lot of them this offseason in a way that I think is positioned Ohio State really well. And I'm taking that as a little bit of a sign that that he is uh, more understanding of what it takes to win a national championship. Um, so I think he can win it all. Yeah. And it's just it's the you know the Ryan Day Urban Meyer comparison. Like Urban, I think, and, and Ryan certainly have different styles. And like Urban couldn't sustain it long-term at the highest level he, he burned himself out because of the way he coached and because he would have what he demanded of himself and of his programs and so right again you think I there's think, a middle ground like is there a middle ground between uh everything is fourth and goal from the one and everybody love everybody where like ryan day needs to land for ohio state to be what people want it to be so this like in the modern age, this might be who, who's a coach that wa- found that middle ground, like compete at the highest level, have everybody live on a razor's edge, but be able to sustain it long term. Right. Like is and and like they love you, but they're also kind of in fear of you at the same time. Like it's not not the Saban model. It's like the greatest yeah. coach of all time was able to do it. I don't know how many other guys <laughs> were able to do it because I think like Dabo maybe is a little bit more love everybody model. And like it's falling apart right now. It, it's sustained for a small period of time. Kirby Smart probably has a pretty good handle on it. Although you guys get, and by the way, we we did a, a Kings of the North show this week where we ranked the twenty best coaches in college football. Uh, we did a draft, not ranking. Kirby Smart from Georgia was the clear number one for both of us. But we also have the the Kirby Smart caveat. Who did you take number two in that draft? I took Ryan Day, um, which again I said like in the show, you know, was was. Partly about Ryan Day, but more about the field, like and the, and like the changing landscape. I think of college coaches. That's like who who's the clear cut number two. I don't know that there is one. So I took Ryan Day. And I do think if you're if you're looking for the perfect middle ground, I think I'd rather have somebody start at tough love, like love in the title. We care about you. We care about your mental health. We care about you holistically as a human being. Start there and acquire an edge. Then come in with an edge and then try to acquire love. Yeah, it's like oh, this J hole loves us now. <laughs> oh, oh, great! So I do think like does Ryan Day need some more of an edge to make tough coaching decisions, to make tough roster decisions, and I think then more importantly in the end, which is the thing we don't know right now, which is make sure that Ohio State plays its best game against Michigan. Yeah, like you have to be emotionally, mentally, schematically prepared on a razor's edge to maximize your performance level, not scared of it, but embracing it, seizing the moment. You have to be that in the Michigan game. And I don't think they have been that the last two years. So that's the thing we're not going to know until that day. But I think the other decisions, coaching decisions, roster decisions would lead you to say, man, I think maybe the guy's getting more of an edge. 
I, I would say that this offseason, yes. I, I think I think his um and listen, it's a good quality to have, like in life in general. I just don't know if it's the best quality to have as a college football coach. Um, taking feelings into account when making decisions for your roster and your staff, I don't I don't think has always led him down the best path. And the other thing I wonder about too is if you are we're gonna love up on you, we're gonna we're a family, you make mistakes, we're gonna help you through it, but we're not gonna ostracize you for it. If you're that every week except for the Michigan week, then like does that make the Michigan week a little harder to like get yourself into if it is a stark contrast to how the program operates every other week of the year? Because I think like Urban was maniacal about Michigan, but Urban was maniacal about everything. It was ratcheted up Michigan, but it like it didn't catch you off guard when he turned it up because it was always that way. And I don't I wonder like if you're not always living that way and then you try to ratchet it up, like does it not actually land for you? Yeah, I mean it's the ultimate, it's the ultimate decision and and uh, like discussion and like we, the only answer, the only way it's answered right or wrong is like does he win a national title or not? Mm-hmm. And if he wins a national title, then it's like oh yeah, he either got, he either acquired an edge or having less of an edge was worked. And if he doesn't win a national title, everyone's always going to think he was too nice. Yeah. And whether or not he wins a national title actually might not be related at all to whether he's too nice or not. It might come down to whether somebody got hurt or somebody missed a field goal or somebody dropped the pass or somebody didn't hold their block for another half second. But it becomes a referendum on his entire personality and way of coaching over the last 10 years. Sure. So that's just sports, which is fine. Uh, This is the opposite side of that. This is from Avery N. Hypothetically, if Gerard Mayo's first season as the New England Patriots head coach does not go well and Ryan Day wins a national championship with Ohio State this season, how worried should we as Ohio State fans be that he takes that job? So this is like the other, like, I I, I, I want to have both these discussions. A, is Ryan Day good enough? B, is he going to leave if he wins it all, right? Yeah. He didn't grow up watching Ohio State, Michigan. He grew up watching the Patriots with his grandpa. That's real. Mm-hmm. I've always thought, certainly he's, I've never heard him say this. That's the job that I've thought, like, what's the job in his heart? What's the job in his heart? And like, if that happened, I think it would be very hard for him to say no to the New England Patriots. Now, the the other part of that discussion is, would the New England Patriots ever want to hire a college head coach? Like the college head coach thing has not worked out great recently, right? For anybody whether it's Matt Rule or famously Urban Meyer. Um, Pete Carroll certainly worked. So like, I think it is much less likely that no matter what Ryan Day's level of success at Ohio State is, that we would get to a spot where there's a perfect merging of his success and it catching the Patriots' eye and the Patriots having an opening again, that they think the guy at the top of our list is Ryan Day. I think that's what holds that back. If that happened, just my read of the situation is I think he would go be the Patriots coach. And I think that's okay because everybody has that job. It's the job Mm -hmm. in your heart from when you're a little kid, man. And it doesn't mean he shouldn't be the head coach of Ohio State right now. I don't think he would go leave to be the Seahawks coach in the same way. I don't think it's NFL or bust for Ryan Day. I think he might have interest in it someday. But I think the Patriots are different. I just do. So yeah. in this scenario, right, a perfect scenario where he's accomplished the ultimate here and the Patriots won him, I think you probably lose him. 
I think if the Patriots ever offered Ryan Day the job, he would take it. Um, yes. Yeah, I think it's as simple as that. Uh, I don't know. I don't. I, at the moment, I don't believe that will ever happen. So I'm not. I I wouldn't worry about it. I don't. I specifically wouldn't worry about Gerard Mayo getting fired after one year. Yeah. Um, even if it's really bad in New England like that, I don't. I just don't think that's going to happen. That's not typically how NFL teams do business. And it seems like Robert Kraft like wants to give Gerard Mayo a shot to you know, run, run that franchise the way that he thinks it should be run. So, um, I would not worry about it. If, if in, you know, four years down the line, three, maybe, maybe it's two or three years down the line. If, if that hire doesn't work out for the Patriots and Ryan day has a national championship and, and has Ohio state kind of rocking and rolling for a little more than it is now, maybe. Um, but I also think you raise a good point of like, are the Patriots, the franchise that's going to hire somebody directly out of college? I don't, I don't know that they are. So, and I don't, and I don't know, at this point, if Ryan Day would jump for just any old NFL job, maybe he would. I, I think I think it does interest him, and I think if, eventually, if everything breaks right for him in, in his career, he will want to be an NFL head coach. He's still pretty young, so he has time to do that. Um, but yeah, any it, whatever scenario it is that leads to the Patriots offering him the head coaching job, I think he would absolutely take it. I just don't think that that's um, you know happening anytime soon. I would guess that Ryan Day's next job will be in the NFL, whatever that means. I mm-hmm. don't know that I would predict that Ryan Day will coach Ohio State until he's 70 and then retire. Yep. That would not be my pick right now. But I think like if it doesn't go well at Ohio State and he like gets fired or there's a mutual parting of the ways, then I think his next job is like quarterbacks coach in the NFL, maybe or, offensive, or, or coordinator offensive coordinator in yeah. the NFL, right? Yep. And if it does go well and he wins a national title and he's all on top and now he's a hot commodity again, then I think the only thing he would jump for is head coach in the NFL. So. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, he's he's young enough. He and Nina can raise their family in Columbus and get the kids through school and then pursue NFL goals. There's plenty of time for that. So I also think like that could be a scenario too. So um, I just wouldn't pick Columbus. I wouldn't pick 35-year head coach of the Ohio State Buckeyes, but that's how yeah. many guys would you pick that for? All right. Uh, preseason rankings. This is Eli. A lot of the national previews I see still have Georgia number one going into next season ahead of the Buckeyes. Is this just a Georgia bias, a lack of appreciation for what Ohio State brings back, a reflection of certainty versus uncertainty at quarterback, or something else? And do you think it's warranted? I feel like this could be one of the most talented teams in modern college football history, and maybe I'm being myopic, but it seems crazy to me to have anyone above them in a preseason ranking. Do you agree with the premise, Bill, that Georgia and Ohio State will be 1-2 in preseason polls in some order? Yes, I do, and I think Georgia will probably be, be one more often than not, which is, I think, largely quarterback. It's like, I, I think Carson Beck is the best returning quarterback in college football, and I think a lot of people think that. Yep. Um, and there's like there's questions about what Will Howard is going to be, which we talked about earlier, and like Georgia has won two national titles, and they recruit really well, and like while they're turning over at some positions, I don't think anyone's worried about Georgia having a talent deficiency. Uh, and they're the class of the SEC, and also Nick Saban's not there anymore. So um, I would still have Georgia one. So I don't think it's crazy to have Georgia one. Based on talent or based on like their, their status in college football? Or really it's a quarterback and overall talent discussion? I think it's yeah. both. Yeah, like, I, like Ohio State's roster is incredible, but so is Georgia's. <laughs> yeah. I think it's a coin flip. Um 
everybody tends to lean SEC, but you do have to remember like the neither of them made the playoff last year. So it's not like Georgia. Mm -hmm. Some people take that into account. So I, I would be shocked if it's anybody other than uh, those two at the top, though. All right. Women's basketball question from Matt B. The men's basketball team isn't worthy of airtime. The women's team, on the other hand, seems to be crushing it. I haven't been watching them, but mostly because I don't know anything about them. Maybe if you guys gave them a little airtime, it'd be easier to get invested. So this is a, an interesting, it's a multifaceted conversation, but it's really about coverage choices. And I do think, Bill, we're seeing a lot of evidence across the country that women's basketball is of interest to average college sports fans, average sports fans in a way that I think a lot of people assumed it wasn't or didn't realize it was in years past. And I think Ohio State is an interesting example of this. Do you feel like, and it's not just Caitlin Clark, but I, in, great individual teams and players are driving it, but it feels like women's hoops, man, is, has some juice right now. Yeah, it's. I think it's a pretty good product. Um, just like, you know, Tell, like watching it on TV, I think it's it's pretty compelling. I think, um, and Ohio State is is part of that. Um, I don't know, and and I think there are media companies, just sort of in general, who see an opportunity to take advantage of like women's basketball in particular, but really like anything that's not football and men's basketball, like kind of being undercovered. Um, like we don't do it because like we're we cover Ohio State football. Like that's like kind of the that's the ethos of, of the place that we're at now like we don't do men's basketball we don't, don't really do anything aside from ohio state football but, um, but let me ask why is that driven uh, by interest primarily yeah audience interest yeah audience interest um and i think there is like a there's a good point in the question right it's like well we don't cover something because the interest isn't there but like if we did cover it would that help that would help drum up more interest like probably right like i, I see that side of the argument but um I don't know that we're like we're ever going to be an outlet that does anything other than football day to day. That's just kind of like what we're doing, what we're building. But like at Cleveland.com, like or even at the Athletic, um, there were times where like I thought to myself, like I should be covering more women's basketball because they're good. Ohio State fans like seem to want to get behind them, and also the men's team isn't very good at the moment. Like, why not embrace a team that's like actually making a run at something substantial? And, not just cover the struggles of a team that's not performing up the expectations. I would say this. So like the only outlet that like fully, fully, fully covers Ohio state men's basketball travel to every game situation right now is the Columbus dispatch with Adam Jardy. If you were an outlet that covered Ohio state men's basketball, some and Ohio state women's basketball, none. And I think that applies to a multitude of outlets that cover Ohio state basketball. I'd switch mm -hmm. that right now. I'd switch it starting tomorrow. And I would take, at least a decent chunk of the resources you're putting into men's basketball and put into women's basketball, if not all of them and see what happens. And when you look at the women's basketball team right now, they are eight and one. They are tied for first place in the big 10. They beat Caitlin Clark and Iowa at home. They have two absolute superstars in JC Sheldon, who is just like a veteran point guard that's been around forever and is everything you want in a team leader, averaging 17 and a half points a game. And then Cody McMahon as a younger player who's like a superstar in the making. And they fill up the roster really well. And like I'm intrigued by them. And like it's like one of these things. It's it's hard. We don't have a million people working for us right now. If you guys let me. I would almost potentially be interested in doing like a once a week women's basketball show somewhere on this channel. Like I could see that like almost as an experiment, like a 
they're really good and like be like see if there's an audience there yeah. or not um and see what happens because i think like and i did i did some stuff last year because i wanted to draw a contrast to men's basketball before i came over here when i was at buckeye talk i interviewed kevin mcguff head coach of the women's basketball team nadine Mazaral, head coach of the women's hockey team tom ryan the wrestling coach ty tucker the men's tennis coach i was i was interviewing people who were successful at Ohio State and, and other sports and talking about the standard and what it requires. And like what Kevin McGuff has built there is really interesting. Like they made the Elite Eight last year. They made multiple Sweet 16s. They kind of took a, a strategic shift in the middle of his career. They took a couple steps back and like, like he's doing a lot of things. That program is doing a lot of things that men's basketball just isn't. And there's two things that make Ohio State fans interested in basketball. One is success and two is players you can root for. And mm -hmm. the women's team has both of those right now. Yes. Absolutely. The men's team is certainly not succeeding. And it's nothing against like Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale. I thought maybe Bruce Thornton and Roddy Gale would get there a little more in terms of like, hey, man, those are my guys. Like the D'Angelo Russell team wasn't great, but he was awesome. And so it was like, ah, even if they're going to lose in the second round of the tournament, I want to go watch D'Angelo Russell. I don't, I don't know if there's people on the men's team that people are like, I got to go see those guys. I think there's women's players that are at that point. So yeah. I understand what Matt is saying. I understand where we are, where a lot of places are in terms of coverage. But what I wouldn't do anymore right now in this specific circumstance is cover men's basketball some and women's basketball zero. I think that is officially an incorrect stance. We are men's basketball zero and women's basketball zero. So that's a different conversation. Mm -hmm. But man, if we were going to, if we were going to dip our toe in the pool, it's certainly not with the men's team right now. No. And like, we've like, when we first set out doing this new thing, like I kicked around the idea and Berman myself kicked around the idea of like doing a, a men's basketball show that we never really got around to. But like for much of last year, like I was covering men's basketball, like half um, and we did some men's basketball shows that, like, frankly, people didn't listen to, um, mostly like podcast dailies, like, unless they were about, are they firing Chris Holtman? Like no one listened to like, I'm not because I they stink. That, Do you think it's because, yeah, they because, stink? yeah, yes. You no, know, because they weren't, they weren't good. Like what, well, why else would you be listening? But what I, what I was getting at is like that probably incorrectly informed the view on covering basketball generally. Um, so it's like if they're not watching a men's show, like why would they watch a women's show? Which is like the wrong way to think about it. Um, so there could be something there. Like I, I'm not, I'm certainly not opposed to a women's basketball show. Um, we've just not done really much of anything with other sports on on our channel because we like again we set out to be like a football entity and like we're scaling a football entity with yes. Kings of the North and um, I don't know if people we can talk about the Matt Brown stuff later when if we have a question about that. Um, but maybe there is room. The, it's certainly I know that Ohio State women's basketball like has has a strong following and like it seems like it's increasingly strong because they're good and it's still like, like very much an underserved audience I think so there could be something there that maybe we could be a part of to to help shine more of a light on that good question Matt you might have sparked something here let's talk yeah. football defense this is from uh will C. And then we have another one from Aiden. But Will C. asked, do you think it would help Ohio State to change and disguise defensive formations more in 2024, similar to what the Ravens and Chiefs do, using guys who have the versatility to play multiple positions and assignments? And then a similar question um, from Aiden. 
Why does Ohio State consistently refuse to be multiple on the defensive side of the ball and keep teams on their toes with different personnel and formations instead of every team knowing exactly what they're going to get? So, Bill, how would you like to see, how could we see maybe uh, the defense expand its uh, repertoire this season? I don't, I don't know. I don't know that they have an issue necessarily with like disguise. I think Jim Knowles is pretty intentional about trying to disguise things. And maybe he can do it more, but I don't, I don't think I would agree with the assessment that they don't do it at all or they don't do it enough. Um, the multiplicity thing I think is interesting. I, the, the one thing I will say is like it's college football. It's not professional football. And I think they're, they're, you run the risk of being like too multiple. Like these are guys who are still like learning how to play the sport. Yeah. Um, so you want to be careful of that, but I think like, especially with Ohio State has coming back next year, right? Like Jim Knowles in his third year's coordinator, a bunch of returning starters, a bunch of older players, um, and versatile guys within that group. I, I I think, in my opinion, should be like an inviting opportunity to get a little a little more multiple. And when, when I say that, I'm thinking mostly like up front. Um, I do think that and I think I've said this before that Ohio State is a little too static with its defensive fronts like we're all, we're playing four down all the time. Um I think there's an opportunity to mix that up. They have very good defensive linemen but but I think you should embrace the opportunity to like use a CJ Hicks down on the line of scrimmage, use a Sonny Styles down on the line of scrimmage. Maybe Arvell Reese is ready to give you something. Mitchell Melton's a versatile guy that I think you can use on the edge and and do some inter- interesting things with. Like I think that is that is where a defense that was statistically very good last year can take the next step, in my opinion. So I don't think it's like something that's been holding them back because I think they were a really good defense last year, but it is a step that I think they are equipped to take with everything they have coming back this year. And I hope that they do take um, going into 2024 because I think it can make an already very good defense that much better. All right, let's talk about laterals. This is Matt M. I would love to know your thoughts on designed downfield laterals. For example, uh, Travis Kelsey's play against the Bills. Obviously, they can be risky, but with the athletes Ohio State has at receiver, I feel like mixing in a design lateral two to three times per game when you get the right look would be a game changer. I truly believe this might be the next evolution of offense in football. So hard to defend and predict. What do you think? And do you think they would even consider it? So generally, coaches are so turnover adverse, adverse, right? And it's like when you throw the ball forward, if you drop it, you don't lose it. If you throw the ball backward and you drop it, you might lose it. So, like, as a general plan, not a trick play from here to there. What do you think? Uh, not as general. Well, nobody, nobody does it as a general plan because of the reason that you yet. just said. Yet, yet, um, I like we're talking like hook and ladder kind of plays, like the the Travis Kelsey throwing the ball across, to, like on the play that got called back because of was it Kadarius Tony was like offside to that play. Yeah. Um it's a nice trick. Like I, I like I like having it in your in your bag as like a as a trick play. Like we've talked about maybe Ryan Day doesn't come into the Michigan game with enough up his sleeve and Michigan seems to do that more. Like you want to work on that and bring that out in that kind of game. I'm I'm all for that. Uh I am not in favor of uh catching a ball for 20 yards and then lateraling it across the field multiple times per game, just because it's part of your game plan. That feels a little, uh, a little scary to me. I don't think I'd do that. Yeah. I still think the next evolution of football is uh, two quarterbacks where you can get into a world where you don't know who's going to be throwing the pass and mm. you can do some laterals between the two quarterback options, but like you end up in a world where like two different guys throw at least 12 passes in a game, but they also run and they also like, I know nobody wants their quarterbacks to get hit. 
Um, I'm not saying like that they're going to do that with Julian Sand and Aaron Noland, but if you had two like two JT Barretts, that's what I would do. Like that's that's yeah. an evolution that I think is real. Like two JT Barretts, one and like one of them's lined up in the shotgun as the quarterback, and the other guy's next to him. Then the next play, it's opposite, and you just don't know. And you get in a world where it's like now you're running zone read. The quarterback who might throw it might keep it, then hands to the running back who's also a quarterback who might run it, but now still also might throw it. And you're running like a version of like a flea flicker on every play. That's the, I think that's an evolution. You down with that? I can get behind that. Yeah. Because then the risk is you're still on the end, you're throwing forward passes. So you don't, but you're, you're uh, schematically keeping the defense more on its toes when it comes to when that forward pass is coming and who's it coming from. No one's ever going to get into a world where, because like when, when Travis Kelsey threw that pass to Kadarius Tony, like which was unplanned, it was a strike. Yeah. It was a rope and hit the guy in the hands. It was perfect. Like how often do you see like someone try to throw a lateral and it's like, it's horrible, right? Have you ever thrown a ball before? Yeah. Yeah. Um, It's actually, now that you like you, you share your idea for the future. It's a little surprising to me that we haven't seen that yet. I think somebody ran a two quarterback offense, like in a high school, like four years ago, but like, I'm surprised that like, I'm always like, why doesn't Indiana run it? Like, why doesn't somebody who's at the bottom of something decide this is an underdog offense and again, you're not going to throw it. You're not going to run it necessarily with future NFL quarterbacks, but like physical quarterbacks who can run and throw and you play them both together all the time. That's where I am. And I'm yeah. also at the point where I do think the NFL, I think every level of football should institute a rule that you can't have more than like three or four laterals in a single play because I hate the nine lateral end of game Stanford band stuff. It's yeah. not football. And I don't know why we allow, even if it's a 0.1% chance that somebody might win a game based on that, I don't think it should be allowed. It's not football. So to say like no more than five players can possess a ball on any single play or no more than three backwards passes can be thrown in every single play would cut out those plays, which I think are the bane of the existence of football. I hate it. I hate it. Do you hate those? I do hate them. I wonder, I don't. I don't know rugby enough to know of whether or not there's a limit on how many times you can throw the ball back before you have to give it up. It's not a but, hard rule to put in. Yeah. No. Why does it like, why is there a rule that you can throw the ball backwards as many times as you want, but you can only throw the ball f- forward once. Why is that a rule? Why, right. why isn't there a limit on backwards throws? I think it's just nobody ever thought of it. So just say no more than four backwards throws. That's I it. like that. Or yeah. As long as we're not getting rid of the tush push. Cause I'll, I'll fight you on that. Yeah. No, you can push as many tushes as you want. People saying that the touch push is in football when that's like the first football play ever. Yeah. Infuriate me. Rutgers and Princeton back in 1879 were pushing each other's tushes all over the place. <laughs> that's all they were doing. Yeah. I, I was going to do like an impersonation. I don't know why. I crikey. But why would they say, hey, crikey, back in 1879 when they were playing football? You push no, the tushes all- over there against Princeton today. They're not Australian. They're just no, they'd all sound like, uh, they'd all sound like Billy Zane from Titanic, where it's like vaguely British. Yeah. Oh, we've got some fine tush pushing today. <laughs> then I got in my, yeah, rode my horse to the uh, best beat style. Who on the Ohio State media beat has the best style and who has the worst style? I would say everyone is tied for last for like, or first yeah. for worst style. Does anybody look good? We were just at a media session on Tuesday with 60 of us. Did anyone look good? I don't know that there's anyone out there who's like putting it on like, Making intentional decisions about like, I'm going to look good at media availability today. Yeah. So I don't, I don't, oh, you know, you know who, well, it's, it's hard because like 
television people have to go on television so like they're wearing suits yeah so like adam king and jared smalley and like whitney harding when they come to events like are dressed really well but they're dressed for television um so i don't feel like that doesn't count the uh adam king cuts cuts a nice figure but yeah he's a tv guy and by the way you were wearing makeup you were sending some photos of a, of a player the other day and like he was in the background. It's like, he wouldn't get him. He wouldn't get out of the shot. So I went and yelled at him. It's like, cause he wears a nice suit. He thinks he can just be in everyone's photo. And look, <laughs> I got Adam King's leg behind Caleb Downs, head. It's like, move your leg King. Let's show the picture. This is the best style in the Ohio state beat right there. Jeremy there Bartholomew Birmingham. <laughs> So we were at a dinner together where we were eating at a very nice restaurant and you had to wear a sports coat. And this is the best photo I've ever taken. It is Jeremy Birmingham nursing an adult drink in a sport coat with his legs crossed in a leather chair and his hand on his chin. And if you weren't in love with Berm already, everybody fell in love all over again after this. And there's a part of me that wants Berm to now adopt this. Because sometimes you put people in a sports coat and it looks like just take it off. That's not what you're meant to do. Yeah. This guy That's me. put it on and was ready to roll. Was he not, Bill? Look at this man. It's a handsome man. He looks man. great. Which is it's very funny to me too, because he he appeared to be the one of us who was stressing out the most yes. about the fact that we were going um for work meetings to a place that like required you to dress up a little bit when you went to, when you went to meals. Um and then he ended up looking the best out of all of us. It's a great yeah. look for him. But he also, uh, you know, he likes to wear Crocs. <laughs> and uh, there's been a time or two where I've seen his toes at Ohio State media availability. So I don't know that he's ever going to be the guy who's going to wear this on the daily. Yeah. He can elevate to it. It's, it's it's about floor and ceiling. He has a low floor on style, but also a high ceiling. Really high ceiling. As yeah. we found out. So I'm glad people asked about uh, asked about our style. We're just a bunch of middle-aged guys trying to get by in the world. All right, NIL violations. This is from JP. With the NIL, NIL violations we have come that have come down recently from Tennessee or Florida State, Florida also got pinched. Should Ohio State fans be worried given the recent showings of aggression in the portal and with NIL? I know there's a lot of gray area here, but any whispers or uh, about the program pushing the boundaries? Um, I read more of this as, this is why Ohio State didn't go harder earlier. They would point mm-hmm. to this now and be like, see? But I don't, I don't know. Like you don't want to say like they could never get pinched. They've also had a change of heart. But I, this is a little bit of like what they thought would be coming, and it's happening. And so I almost think Ohio State might be more like reassured than worried by some of these things. Yeah, I think I think validated a little bit in being a little more cautious early, which I know frustrated fans and. And I think they probably still could have pushed it more than they did, but but I, I understand why they did it, and I think it's because of this. I feel like the programs that are getting caught up in this stuff now were like like borderline boastful about what they yeah. were doing, um, like like bragging about it. And it's like it goes back to the speed limit thing for me, which I know, I know it's an analogy you've used a few times. If it's if it's fifty five, then Ohio State was probably being too stringent, like like making sure they were staying at fifty five. Maybe they could have been going like sixty or sixty five, or maybe now they're going seventy. But like these programs are going like ninety, yeah. <laughs> oh, and 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 now they're getting caught up in it a little bit. Um, so I don't. It doesn't doesn't worry me for Ohio State. No, I I don't. I don't think the NCAA is is particularly interested in like cracking open the books of every single program to make sure um, 
that there's no impropriety because there is so much gray area. But I also think that like, if you're out there with it and bragging about it, that they're going to come for you. You're, you're sort of inviting them in, I think at that point. And I think that's what happened here with a few of these. So we have added uh, a really smart journalist to our company and his name is Matt Brown and he is the creator and writer and founder and do everything other uh, for Extra Points, which is a newsletter that covers a lot of the financial aspects of college sports. He does a lot of open records requests. He talks to ADs. He talks to people in administration. And obviously the money part of college football and college athletics has got infinitely more important over the last several years. And he's now with us. So he has a, a, a newsletter that he's going to continue. Um, I may have him on the show on Thursday to talk more about some of this stuff, but we want to give a shout out to Matt. And I like um, Bill, like the, the, the combination of like what we hope is the power here of, of of certainly no doubt about the power of the podcast and this Ohio State channel, what we hope Kings of the North on its separate channel grows into, and then adding somebody like Matt who's kind of doing his own thing, but is being folded in to our larger college football operation. It's just the best, man. Yeah, I think it's gonna be really well rounded coverage. And like I'm I I know my strengths and my weaknesses, and certainly uh one of my weaknesses would be like, you know, one finding and two, like understanding and three synthesizing all the information that you can have at your disposal when it comes to the finances of college athletics. And Matt is excellent at that. So like, if we've had, if we've had some blind spots there or just like that, not the, not the manpower to really dive in on some of that stuff. Um, I'm really excited to have Matt as available as a resource to us to, to do some of that, but also like, I mean, not everything he does at extra points, um, pertains to Ohio state. In fact, like very little of it does. Um, and not all of it pertains to Northern football, but it's all interesting. So like, I would, I would very much suggest people that they go seek that out there and read Matt's work. If they're even the, the slightest bit interested in like where college athletics are going from a financial standpoint. So we're just starting with that, but we'd like to welcome uh, Matt to the family. All right. I just want to, I want to say this to our guy, uh, Seth B who has sent a long explanation of why he thinks Ohio state should play young guys more. He sent it twice. Seth B, I got you. We see you. We hear you. We're not going to do you right now because you deserve a longer conversation than two minutes. I think we can drive a show based on the philosophy of playing younger players and how different programs uh, uh, approach it. So I take great exception to young guys barely getting any plays. We see you, Seth B. We're going to hold it. We'll get back to it, I promise, because we have to get to a Disney question. (laughs) (laughs) priorities this is tk life question for doug mostly doug how much disney is too much disney i know you're a disney guy so your answer might be no such thing my family recently got back from a disney vacation which was our second trip in the last 14 months and my wife is already planning our next trip so this this is a philosophical question that i want to apply to it's not just about disney um if anybody if you have are lucky enough to have the financial wherewithal to travel at all to take some vacations, right? I think there's like, there's two ways to travel. One is to go see new things. And that's the goal. You want to expose yourself to new places, new people. You want to educate yourself about the world. You want new experiences, new food, new sites, or you just go to do something reliable and fun. And you just want to feel the joy of being with friends and family in a place that's familiar. And, you want to like recharge your batteries with, with something like that. So like for me, that's the question. How much Disney is too much Disney? It's how much of a good thing is too much of a good thing? How much of 
having fun is too much having fun. And so I think it's impossible. There is no too much. So like, so we certainly like, again, just are, are lucky enough. I mean, we don't travel Disney extravagantly and like, it's expensive, but like we prioritize it and we go a lot, but why do we go? Because it's the place where our family has the most fun. Yeah. We're not worried. We, it's familiar. We know it. We're not sick of it. We all like it equally. And we have the four of us have fun, which is why I look forward to it all year. So if you have a place it might be a park down the road, it might be a lake, it might be a mountain, it might be a field, it might be an activity. I don't think there's any such thing as too much of that. Because I think when you are familiar with something, it allows you to focus on the fun. Because you're not worried about, oh, what are we going to eat tonight? Or not worried about like, oh, how do we get there? Oh, this, the car trip is going to be stressful. Oh my gosh, what if we don't like it? You eliminate that. So I am very much in favor of repeating fun experiences because the familiarity allows you to maximize the fun. I believe that strongly doesn't mean you should never go somewhere new, but that's why I think there's no such thing as too much Disney. And again, if your kids are of a certain age, you want to go maybe we're in the wheelhouse age and, and TK, your kids are what you said are in the wheelhouse age, but it, I don't think you ever necessarily grow out of it. So when I was a kid, Landis, like uh, uh, going to the shore in New Jersey to the beach yeah. was like a thing for us. Like that was that kind of place. I think most people have that kind of place. And I'm all about leaning into that. Do you believe in leaning into the familiar or would you tra rather travel new? Again, the best is some kind of mix. But which way would yeah. you lean? I would probably lean familiar. Um, I'm I'm with you. Like the, for me, that that's not Disney. I've been to Disney once in my life. Um, but like I, I think with the exception of like one or two summers in my life and i'm 35 i've gone to the jersey shore um even even since i've no longer lived in philadelphia we still do that and i think some people sometimes my wife included think like you're going there again really if that's where we're going again it's like yeah yeah because i love it and my family loves it and um i can see how you might get bored with it if it's not something you've done your entire life or, or it's not your cup of tea but i i very much am in favor of leaning into the familiar like i try to balance it out with going to new places and, we, and we've done that for sure but like i always find myself wanting to go back to the familiar so i definitely understand that perspective yeah pro familiar no stresses yeah this is our guy jj this question has been on my mind and it's the future of kings of columbus i really enjoy it and will be sad if it goes away but it seems like kings of the north is your big passion project moving forward so bill kings of the north is going to it's currently about twice a week we're going to actually lock that in a little bit more um maybe have a set time that we release kings of the north so people can get get accustomed to that but eventually by the football season, starting sometime later this summer, Kings of the North is going to be a five-day-a-week show, and that is – it's my priority. It's clearly my priority. Yeah. One of the things we discussed at our work meeting is, like, could we split Bill Landis in half? And can there be a Kings of the North Bill Landis and a an Ohio State Bill Landis as far as we know? And we wouldn't have to split you in half. Paul Rudd did a show. He got cloned. So maybe we could clone Bill Landis. I, I, I Certainly, the cloning technology is out there. Um it probably is a little bit out of our price range right now to create two Bill Landis's. <laughs> so we have to figure out the best usage for you. But certainly our plan is for you and I to continue an Ohio State show every week forever. Correct? Correct. Yeah. Um, yes, definitely. What I, I think we need, to, we need to talk about, we can talk about it here, like what exactly that looks like. Like the one model we kicked around, we can tell the people is like, 
the Dan Lebetard model where like they did the ESPN national show that was like three hours long, but prior to that, they had an hour of, they called it the local hour where they talked only about Miami. Like we want to, we want to leave time to still do that. Now I'm not saying we're going to have a live Ohio state Kings of the North for an hour every day leading into, or excuse me, Kings of Columbus leading into Kings of the North, but we're also not leaving the Ohio state audience. I, I think I know we, we do Kings of Columbus like once a week now. Right. So I, I yeah. and this is a two hour show that we're doing. Um, will be more than two hours by the time it's done. Um, maybe we don't have as many like two hour shows when Kings of the North launches um, full bore during football season, but we will still be doing Kings of Columbus. Absolutely. Like I, I, I still want to have these Ohio state conversations and I, and I think you do too. Um, we're just going to try to do both. And also uh, we don't need to clone me because that terrifies me. So I yeah. don't want to do that. Uh, and the other thing is, too, there are times um, a little bit on Kings of the North where right now, because it's only twice a week and because we have so much coverage with the podcast that I hold back a little bit on Ohio State discussion on Kings of the North because we want to make it clear that we're open to every program in the North. Columbus is still the capital of Northern football. Ohio State is and Michigan are the two most important teams in Northern football right now. So when we get to five days a week on Kings of the North, we're not going to hold back on how often we talk Ohio State there. So if you are primarily interested in my thoughts, our thoughts on Ohio State, we're going to be doing that a lot on Kings of the North Mm -hmm. because – for the last 25 years, the number one program that's mattered is Ohio State. Now Michigan has risen up to that. But, you know, sometimes if there's something that Ryan Day did, it's like, oh, Caleb Downs transferred to Ohio State. We didn't really talk about it on the Kings of the North because we're only twice a week right now. But we talked a lot about it on the podcast. If we were in five days a week, we would have done 45 minutes on Caleb Downs to Ohio State on Kings of the North because everybody yeah. in the North should care about that. It's super interesting for Northern football. And it would have been some nitty gritty, heavy duty Ohio State talk. So that's part right. of it too. The more we do on KOTN, the more Ohio State will be part of that. Okay. Quick break. We haven't done Whatcha every single time lately. We got to give it to you now, even though we're going to have a super long show. What you watching? What you eating? What you thinking? Next on Kings of Columbus. All right. Again, uh, the the tech subscribers just make this. especially shows like this, make them go. And so if you want to be part of that, 614-662-4509, because our guy Ira did some food and some watching stuff that I'm now going to integrate into what you're watching, what you're eating, what you're thinking. So my first watching, Landis, is from Ira. I've been super into sci-fi shows recently. I loved Foundation on Apple TV, and I'm now watching Monarch Legacy of Monsters. What's your favorite sci-fi show, movie, book? Um. I am not a huge sci-fi guy, but I am open to it. I do. I kind of like it when I consume it. I like more stuff that's not necessarily like there's sci-fi influences, but it does maybe hit you over the head with being sci-fi. Yeah. So I I would take recommendations here. Is it part of your normal consumption? Uh, No, not necessarily. It's actually funny. I was having a conversation uh, last night about, like just like reading more in general and like the fact that I don't ever really, I think the last sci-fi book I read was like Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy when I was a kid. Yeah. Um, so I don't, I don't, I certainly don't seek it out in the little bit that I read. Um, and I don't know, I don't know that I seek it out a lot when like trying to figure out new shows to watch. It's not that I'm opposed to it. It's just not my, like what the top genre I go for necessarily. Yeah. But I will say like, I, I, I think this qualifies as like, I, I I get into it mostly with movies. Um, and I think like 
a movie that I really like love and like have loved my whole life and watch it like stop to watch it like part of it like every time I catch it on TV which seems to happen a lot is like Terminator 2 <laughs> um, which is like sci-fi but it's like mostly an action movie but certainly there's sci-fi elements to it so like that's probably the thing I think like stuff that I've spent a lot of time with that's like heading in that direction tends to be more, like more like fantasy like Lord of the Rings kind of stuff than it is like pure science fiction kind of stuff yeah I like it when it's a little more reality based like I've talked about from uh, for all mankind a million times it's like it's space yeah. travel but it's based on an alternate reality it's not like complete sci-fi off like star trek kind of stuff you know not that i don't like star trek but just yeah i don't know yeah. the like, last thing like i i watched like the first season of westworld although that was really good yeah. like i didn't but then like i didn't watch the whatever was after it i just kind of stopped watching yeah i stopped watching season. it because it felt like they wanted you to root for the robots and i said i'm out yeah well you're very you're staunchly anti-robot which i think yeah. makes it difficult to be a. Uh, uh, you know oh yeah 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 yeah. i understand that robots are an allegory for other things in life but like the bottom line is you're rooting for me to ask asking me to root for robots over humans and i'm never going to do it right like if you want to if you want to like if you want to talk about stuff let's talk about stuff don't ask me to root for robots so i was absolutely out on westworld after that so they can suck it what are you watching watch the royal rumble over the weekend Yeah, you did that was cool. <laughs> yeah. So we were we were uh, like uh, we were down in Georgia for this work thing we were doing over the weekend. And we had a dinner on the night of the Royal Rumble. We ended up not we got back like after it was over. And typically on Peacock, which is where WWE houses all of its premium and Ohio State basketball is housed there as well. And Ohio State basketball is also housed there. Yeah. If you're looking for another reason to buy it, um, typically in my experience, Bruce Thornton like, has gone over the top rope. <laughs> When something is on Peacock, even if it's live, like you can just turn it on and then rewind to the beginning and start watching it from the start. But we weren't able to do that with the Royal Rumble for some reason. So we like got back to the hotel at like 1130 thinking we could do that. We couldn't. We had to like wait for the replay to be available, which wasn't until like after one o'clock in the morning. So it was, like it was me and it was Austin who were into pro wrestling and Berm who were like dragged into it in my hotel room watching, starting to watch the Royal Rumble at one o'clock in the morning. And like we put on the it started with the woman's Royal rumble and all three of us fell asleep. <laughs> like, I don't know how long into it. I fell asleep at multiple points during the woman's Royal rumble and then like woke up for the end of it and then ended up watching the rest of it. Like over the course of the next two days, I guess like I finished it on like Monday evening, um, but it was good, but it was weird. It was, it was funny to me. Like there was so much anticipation of us, like finding the time to watch it and like, it's all Austin and I have been talking about and like the month leading up to this trip was like, how are we going to, how are we going to figure out how to watch the rumble? And then we figured out how to watch it. And then we fell asleep. during it. Was it a good rumble then when you got to see the whole thing, the rumble matches were good. The other two matches that were part of the event uh, were not particularly good, okay. but you're watching for the rumble. I would recommend like anyone. I know there's people like rolling their eyes, like pro wrestling, you're an adult grow up, um, which is fair. Um, if you, the Royal rumble, I think transcends that like it's, it's a fun event to watch. It's like nonstop action. And it's also easy to gamble on because you can just do like a pool oh, where you're, yeah. you pick the 30, 30 numbers out of a hat and like that's your number. And if the person who enters at that number wins, you win the money. You guys did ask me if I wanted to be in the gambling pool, but the 50 year old man just went back and went to bed. Yeah, I respect that. Yeah. Um, all right. What you eating? This is a good question from Eric. What's your favorite wing sauce at Roosters? Since Roster, uh, Roosters is a wonderful sponsor of our, uh, the, the live show every Monday. Um, and, and it's, you know how like, it always sort of bothers me when a flavor's name 
or like a sense name or something has nothing to do. It's like, what flavor is that? And it's like, oh, the flavor is uh, ice moon spectacular. And it's like, yeah. I, is that's not a flavor? Like, what is it? Grape? <laughs> is it grape? <laughs> yeah. No, it's ice moon. Ice moon's not a flavor, but that has happened to me because you know my order at Roosters, right? Do you know my order? Yeah, uh, Ten Boneless Donkey. Which is the name of my ska band, Tune. Yeah. Awesome. <laughs> ten Boneless Donkey. Like, I love Donkey. Can you imagine if it was donkey flavored? It's like, oh, man. <laughs> Do you ever have, like, really good tender donkey? Yeah. Oh, it's delicious. You know what? Get, give me 20 Boneless Donkey. So Donkey. Like, Donkey is my... <laughs> Every time, no doubt about it, because it's it's kind of I don't know is it between medium and hot buffalo probably is what it is, but it's just it's hard for me when I go to other wing places trying to figure out what level like of of spice I want in my buffalo sauce because I want donkey level, like what's the donkey equivalent? And I wish I wish there was like maybe could we federalize wing sauce Ooh. so that there's a, an official kind of like with like the emergency alert system, so everyone's not into their because there's another place I go that I get like little kicker and it's like, I guess that's probably equivalent to donkey, but I don't, I don't know that this should be a state thing. I think it should be a federal mm -hmm. wing sauce, heat flavor system. And donkey is officially between medium and hot. I think it might be above hot. Actually. Above it's pretty hot? spicy. Yeah. I don't, I, 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 I find that it's, it's got a little kick to it. Yeah. Too much is donkey too much for you. <clears throat> I don't, I like the spice. I don't know that I want to eat 10 of them at that spice. Yeah. I think I'd rather have like five. Yeah. Um, when Berm, Berm gets a combination of, I think, like hot and nuclear, nuclear, which is like the hottest I think it gets. Wow. Yeah. And then like he sweats from his eyebrows while he's eating. It's like, <laughs> is that an enjoyable experience for you? But yeah. He seems to like it. What's your go? Are you, what are you teriyaki sometimes? What do you usually get? No. Um, I usually when I like when I eat wings, typically I I kind of prefer like the standard buffalo. So a lot of times at Roosters, I'll just get the the medium. Yeah. Um, but I like the Carolina Gold nice. quite a bit. That's good. It's like a mustard based barbecue sauce. Um, but I was Austin told me the other day that you can get like hot garlic, which sounds appealing to me. I've never had oh. it before, but like I, now I want to try it. The other thing at Roosters too, which I did not know this, I learned this like a month ago. Um, you can order their wings without the breading. Oh, like you, you can get them, yeah, you just order them naked. And then, like, if I can get that style of wing with, like, a Cajun dry rub on it, I think that's really good. Nice. That's, that might be my favorite wing. Mmm, donkey. Mm. What are you eating? Uh, I had, on our trip, not to make this all about that, but that's the most recent thing in our mind. Uh, I had a BLT for lunch one day, but the tea was a fried green tomato. Oh, nice. It was really good. Um, not something that I have a whole lot of fried green tomato. I feel like it's not something that's available a whole lot um, if you're not in the South. But it was like a nice uh, kind of twist on a traditional bacon, lettuce, tomato sandwich. Like a, a little more tang to it. You get the crunch of the of the fried uh, fried tomato itself. It was really, really quite tasty. I enjoyed it. I, I wait, like It makes me want to like try to make it myself now. Oh. You could probably fry a tomato. I think you're capable of that. But I also wonder, like, you can't, like, if you try, if you try to, I, I don't, a red tomato, they're probably called something different, but I just call yeah. it a red, red tomato. Um, 
if you tried to fry that, like, I don't think it'd be the same. Is there something like texturally or like about the consistency of a green tomato that makes it more receptive to frying? I feel like if I fried a red tomato, it would just like fall. Yeah. Yeah. Fried green tomato. One of the few foods that is in and of itself, a movie title also, like if you just had, can you imagine that's the name when they make the Doug Marie's life story? Can you please call it 10 boneless donkey? Cause yeah, of course that's like fried Uh green tomatoes. Yeah. Um, Anything you're thinking about? No, I had something and I forgot what it was. So I guess, so I'll go, uh, so this is really food related, but it makes me think about life that like how fortunate we are. Most of us, many of us uh, in this country that like, if you, if you want food, you can just go to a store and like the grocery store mostly has what you want. And I always think about that. There's like a lot of shows. It feels like that. I've, I've watched multiple shows where somebody winds up like, being forced to live in Russia when they used to live in America. And then they're always like in the grocery store. And it's like, you, it's like, I don't know. Do they have like six potatoes today? I don't know. Maybe like you're right. beholden to what may or may not be in the grocery store. So I do think sometimes we always need to appreciate uh, the bountiful options that we have in this country um, for what we're able to consume. And that kind of everything that you want is always available. Maybe you can't afford it in that moment, but it's available, right? Because the one time that the thing that reminds me of that the most is when they never have the crispy green beans from TGI Fridays in my freezer department. They have every oh. other Friday's appetizer. They have mozzarella sticks. They have boneless buffalo wings. They have potato skins. They have jalapeno poppers. I know they make the fried green beans because I've had them before. But they're never in my grocery store, and it makes me feel like I'm living in Russia. And I look around at the bounty around me, and I think, I don't want that bounty. I want fried green beans, breaded green beans. And I guess if you can fry a green tomato, I can fry a green bean, but I Mm -hmm. don't want to. I want TGI Fridays to fry it, put it in a box with its name on it, and put it in my freezer section. Where are they? We like in during COVID, there was some stuff that went away a little bit, supply chain issues. And I feel like the fried green beans have never come back. And every time oh. I go to the grocery store, I go with the anticipation and hope that they will be there. I am reminded of the bounty around me and the wonderful joys that we experience in this country and how lucky we are. And then I get mad when they're not there. I was wondering, like, are they not there because they're such a hot commodity or because they just don't make them anymore? I, I, I don't know. Is there, I don't know. I, I don't think they are instantaneously selling out. So I think it's like they're not there. They're not ever there. Maybe there's like another huge fried green bean fan in Westerville that's buying them all out from under you before you get them. There is. Yeah. I love, do you like the fried green bean? I love it. I've never had them like from the freezer section in the grocery store, but like as an appetizer live on the scene at TGA Fridays. Yeah, yeah. very good. Yeah. And like, I was always like the, the uh, the Big Ten Championship in Indianapolis, like you stay yes. at that Fairfield Spring Hill thing, and there's a TJ, TGI Fridays on the ground floor. You go there and you just eat, eat to your heart's content fried green beans while you watch the other championship games before Ohio State plays. And it's a green and, bean. Yeah, mm-hmm. it's a veggie. It's healthy, it's healthy. Yeah. What'd you have for dinner? I had 117 fried green beans. <laughs> Are you on a health kick? Congratulations. It was 114 carbs worth of breading, but underneath. Yeah. It was a green bean. All right. Anything else? You good? Think of something? You good? No, I will say, uh, without getting like too, too personal, um, we're like, 
going through some like medical stuff with our son, like nothing crazy serious, but I, I, um, I'm appreciative of like doctor's ability to like talk you off the ledge. Mm. Like, um, in addition to like providing like critical healthcare for you and like helping you live your life and be a healthy individual, like sometimes you need them to like play a psychologist <laughs> and, yeah. and help you and help you uh, talk through some stuff and realize that um, it'll be okay when you're dealing with some things. So uh, I want to give a, give a, give a shout out to the doctors for doing that in addition to everything else they do in their incredibly difficult and important jobs. Yeah. Medical profession, man. Again, why do we do this? Is because maybe there's a doctor who, or a nurse, or or a paramedic, or somebody in the medical field who's out there um, making, saving people and making them feel okay. Maybe they're driving mm-hmm. home from work, or maybe they're sitting around and wanting to watch a YouTube show and talk about football a little bit. So, yeah, I mean, it is. It's like what's well, like umpires, right? Maybe you'd like to go through life and never be sort of forced to realize how much you value um, smart people who help you in in health situations, but everybody has something they have to deal with. And so then when you are reminded of that, it's like, wow, thank goodness they are there because I could not do that. And I just think if you were super smart and like smart enough to be somebody who could be a doctor or a nurse or a technician that's involved, like in the medical field, I'd probably be a (laughs) J-hole. Then to also be nice, like you're smart and nice. I don't know that that's an expectation. Yeah. There's a level of smartness that it's like, just, just, you don't, don't pretend you can be mean to me. Yeah. Be a nice idiot or a smart jerk. You don't have to be, you don't have to be both. Yeah. Yeah. Or in some cases, (laughs) an idiotic jerk. There you go. Sometimes that works too. All right. We appreciate you guys making Kings of Columbus part of your week. Again, right now it's Kings of Columbus once a week, Kings of the North on our other channel twice a week, but more is coming. More is coming. Stick with us here. Uh, at Kings of Columbus, at Kings of the North, at the podcast for all the exciting things we have coming your way. I always want to shout out our great producer, Mike Yorostowski, who makes us look good and sound good. He is Bill Landis. I am Doug Maurice. It was very long, but it was very enjoyable. Thanks to everybody for the questions. That was Kings of Columbus. <laughs>